Welcome back to Live from Planet Chaos. It is January 31st, 2024, and January has felt like 10 years worth of one month. So I have to tell you, there's a lot going on out there, and we're going to cover some of the news that I think is interesting or ridiculous or chaos-inducing, and then we're going to get into something a little more serious. I've been working for the last five days uh, digging into what exactly is going on in our country, who is running or actually above our government right now in our nation, uh, manipulating the legal system to embarrass the United States on the world stage, the persecution of Donald Trump, uh, our foreign policy, the ridiculous level of lawfare that is making America look like a, a laughing stock to the rest of the world, which should be taken seriously by every American. Uh, the march to the election of 2024 is obviously infiltrated. A uh, great article Matt Tabibi put out about are we already looking at a stolen 2024 election? I have some information on that as well. So uh, please stay tuned for the second half of the show because it's going to be very disturbing to people exactly uh, who is behind a lot of the Trump lawsuits, a lot of what's happening at our border and our uh, voting situation and what is happening rolling into 2024 election. Uh, it is shocking and, and bizarre how we have allowed it to get this far, being such a small group of people that continue to rise uh, above our government, certainly well above we the people, to uh, not only have captured our nation, but to destroy our integrity, our respect, and uh, the greatness of this country on the world stage. So first and foremost, I wanted to comment on the ridiculous E. Jean Carroll uh, $83 million uh, decision. Rob and I, of course, fled com uh, communist New York City. We were very sad about it. Both of us spent uh, a good half of our lives living in Manhattan. So um, very disappointing to see that. More disappointing to see The View and other people cheer on something that uh, should be just an absolute um, disgusting disgrace to any honest, sane human being that doesn't have Trump derangement syndrome. But uh, they didn't hide it at all. You want to run the clip from uh, Rachel Maddow, Road Scholar Maddow, I call her. You've talked about using some of Trump's money that you're about to get um, to help shore up women's rights. Do you know what that might be, what that might look like? Yes, or, Rachel. Or, yes. Tell me. I had such, such great ideas for all the good I'm going to do with this money. First thing, Rachel, you and I are going to go shopping. We're going to get completely new wardrobes, new shoes, motorcycle for Crowley, new fishing rod for Robbie. Rachel, what do you want? Penthouse? It's yours, Nothing. Rachel. Penthouse and uh, France? You want France? You want to go fishing nope. in France? No? Oh. All right. All right. Okay. That's a joke. <laughs> Although if, if me fishing in France could yeah. do something for women's rights, I would take the hit. You know, I would obviously <laughs> take one. Okay, you can stop it. That's way too much for me. It, it went on a little long there. I lost kind of control of that. But I have to tell you something. This is the most disgusting, embarrassing situation. MSNBC is the bottom of the barrel. They'll come up a lot today 
I fully believe that that is a captured entity by the uh, propaganda intel team and those that are uh, love the idea of the Smithmont Modernization Act and want to prop propagandize into losing our country for good. Um, there is nothing positive. Rob, uh, as, as a man who has gone through uh, legal issues in the past just by dealing with anything happening in business in America, in the court systems, uh, you ran a huge business. Uh, you had the 2008 thing. I mean, to see that uh, after a $83 million judgment against a man that obviously did not do anything wrong in this situation, and then, uh, you know, to have them all laughing, what, what do you see when you see that? Well, it's extraordinary because, I, I mean, it's this, well, first of all, we know that this, this was set up with uh, some legislation which allowed these, uh, you, know, you know, potentially aggrieved people to come in for some window uh, to, to file lawsuits. Uh, evidently, she was a part of that process as well. So, I mean, this whole thing was set up it's like you know the lottery mentality and then the um the lawfare and the fact that you know he wasn't allowed to defend himself you're right mel i i was involved in lots of different situations in my business world and right. you always uh, you know depended on the, the you know the soundness and, and fairness of the justice system to allow you to operate and protect you um, clearly, that whole concept has, has been eroded to the point where it's upside down. So, you know, it's extraordinary that, you know, these people, uh, they're, they're, they're just, they're raking in money. You know, I don't think she'll get a penny of that. But, you know, the way they, they were so giddy about the, the win and, and the way they were going to use it. I mean, you would think someone who was, um, you know, going through something like this would be, uh, you know, a little contrite and, um, you know, humbled, but, but not at all. It's, no, it it's, was a joke. It, yeah. It was a joke the whole time. I don't know if people have seen, I listen, she wrote for Elle magazine, a sex column for, for 20 years. I mean, I remember when I was like in the nineties, I remember reading her column and in Elle magazine, when I worked at MTV and we'd all be like, Oh, that's so crazy. And it was always crazy. It was never it was never normal. And I know a lot of her tweets are out there. Very bizarre. She was uh, DMing with uh, the woman who I thought credibly accused Joe Biden of uh, sexually assaulting her that had to Tara Reid, who had to leave the nation because of the uh, Obama o Biden regime uh, going back into place and not wanting her around. And I'm good for her. But I believe she has to be in Russia because of uh, what happened in 2020, in my opinion. But what's scarier here is that Roberta Kaplan, the lawyer who was there laughing with her with her client. And, you know, it's funny. I saw a tweet from somebody and I remember this. When you win like a game show and you win a lot of money, you're not supposed to talk about even winning money or what you're going to buy with it or anything. It was like she won a game show is how she was acting. And you're absolutely right. They brought back that law. I heard that uh, George Conway, who is a uh, um, Kellyanne Conway's, uh, I guess, ex-husband or husband, I don't know the status of them, uh, was, was very involved in uh, reversing that law just to get Trump. Reed Hoffman obviously paid for uh, a lot of this lawsuit. He was, he was backing uh, Nikki Haley until a few days ago, I hear, but we'll get into that later too. But this Roberta Kaplan, um, by the way, did not disclose her close relationship with the judge. So the judge um, in the lawsuit uh, and Roberta Kaplan worked together. So Judge Lewis Kaplan 
um, worked with Roberta Kaplan together in the 90s in a big law firm in Manhattan. And Roberta Kaplan had referred to that same judge as her mentor. So she was doing a case in front of a judge that did not let Donald Trump defend himself. Meanwhile, the judge also in paperwork that was obtained by other journalists uh, found that um, the judge, Judge Kaplan, said that Donald Trump was uh, convicted of rape and sexual assault, which he was not convicted of uh, either. And he was never allowed to defend himself in either case. And this case uh, was all about Donald Trump saying he never really met her. He didn't know her. He certainly, as I've told everyone, I've been to Bergdorf's many times, and I'll tell you right now, I know people work there. They are trained to open the dressing rooms with a key and stand within three feet of the dressing room when people are in there to be of service. So the entire story is is ludicrous. Of course, he owned that plaza across the street at the time and was probably the most recognizable and famous person in New York City. So walking into Bergdorf's, going to the lingerie department, uh, finding E. Jean Carroll there, going into a locked uh, dressing room, uh, any kind of sexual assault taking place without somebody being a witness. And she can't say when it exactly happened. Uh, the, people are saying the dress wasn't even made at the time. All this stuff is crazy. And then to find out that the judge and the uh, lawyer, uh, 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 E. Jean's Carroll's lawyer, not only knew each other, but had a very close relationship. Um, and uh, that should have been a, a conflict of interest to begin with. Um, they worked together in Midtown from 1992 to 2016. So the judge and the lawyer knew each other very, very well and did not disclose this to Trump's team at all. Um, so there's a lot of problems there. Obviously, E. Jean Carroll will never get one dollar of this. And honestly, Trump should, uh, after the appeal, should, uh, you know, do what he's got to do, because this woman, uh, they made a mockery of the system. And it's, it's terrible for rape victims. You know, I, I have issues in my past with situations like this. Can I, I can't imagine laughing about it and all of, you know, and, and being giddy. And she's going to help women's rights, really, by by putting a fake uh, rape lawsuit out there to get Trump, uh, is she, anything she could do for women's rights. She destroyed 10 times over. And then to act like that, any woman who's ever been in any situation of any kind of assault does not look back on it with giddiness. And again, they wanted to play the Anderson Cooper clip in court and they were not allowed. Um, so this is really, really just every level of awful. And I feel very bad for people out there that, have fought very hard. Actually, we had on um, a bunch of people in the past who have had actual uh, cases of victimization and rape and tra uh, trafficking and all kinds of stuff. And to see somebody make a mockery of it is, is really devastating. Um, but that's where we are right now. But that judge uh, also should have to answer for not disclosing that. And Trump couldn't defend himself. So this is a new thing that they do. Summary judgment over lies. Um, which is weird because you know what else came out this week, Rob? Nearly one third of Gen Z Americans identify as LGBTQ+. What is going on with that? How did that happen? One third. It's, it's, I think Z is the last letter. So I'm hoping that after that we get some kind of uh, cleaning of the slate. But that's pretty shocking information to come out. I, I, I can't even imagine. And, and those are the kids that are being raised in this uh, crazy new world. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> Weird. Well, yeah, there's a there's a few thoughts I have on that. Number one, which is that, you know, we've probably had the better part of, of two generations that have been through these indoctrination camps, and they are being uh, 
pushed into this, you know, these, you know, to accept and, and, and embrace, you know, alternative lifestyles. Uh, we know the agenda uh, be, behind uh, breaking up uh, the uh, nuclear family, <coughs> excuse me. And um, we also know that, that, that they have made this such a, a social cause that it's, it's like the new cool kids club, you know? So, so, and, and young people are, are very subject to peer pressure. And so even if they may not identify, you know, they will tacitly maybe identify and, 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 and accept, if you will, you know, very openly. Um, so it starts to really create this, this, again, controlling the narrative, controlling the narrative. And what's really interesting is that, you know, I know and Mel's been doing a, a, an insane amount of research on connecting the dots as to, uh, you know, who a lot of these funders are and, and you know, the architects of a lot of this activity. And, and you see the, the same people in the law fair, same people funding it, same organizations. And you know, it was something kind of funny, which is she, was, she gets really, really frustrated because every time she goes into these news sites and, and locations, they get all, the, all these, these pop-ups, ads, pop-up, pop-up. And so it's, it floods the computer. It's impossible to do do the work. You know, it takes an <laughs> extraordinary amount of time. Mel, I know how frustrating it is for you. We don't do that here. We don't flood you with pop-ups. We don't flood you with ads. But we do ask for your support because independent media is the way that we're going to break this narrative. So please check well, out, thanks, you know, Bob. everything that we do and support what we do because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to save this country by breaking this crazy media narrative control that they have, uh, uh, you know, enveloped basically the world with. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, thanks, Rob. I appreciate that. It is very hard to do this. It is a thankless job most days. And it is uh, it is just me and Rob and our little team here. But uh, the news is so crazy that we really have to keep up on it. And if, if that's what we do, and luckily you guys listen and uh, follow us, it's we're really grateful is the point there. Um, but yeah, every every news <laughs> when I'm researching things, it is so hard. There's so much um, pop ups and ads and everything. It, it gets crazy. But I do want to say also, if you're not following um, Darren Beatty's reporting on the January 6th pipe bomber and some of that stuff coming out. Uh, there's a lot coming out about January 6th. Our friend Steve Baker, there he he just had a great press conference talking about it. Obviously, a lot of Capitol Police officers are starting to come forward, which is uh, really good. And um, uh, Darren Beatty says now after uh, he went through the whole pipe bomb hoax and uh, we've been following it, of course, and all the footage and the strange behavior around it. And um, listen, right when it happened, Beatty was out there showing videos um, of things that did not make sense, like apparently the pipe bomber waving to the cop that drove by. Now we have all these videos of people walking by and after it was already found, they had like kids walk by. I mean, the whole story is ludicrous and part and the reason that they um that they uh i believe evacuated uh the uh capital and a lot of this stuff happened was because of the bomb scares because kamala apparently was at the dnc headquarters for whatever reason um and the rnc headquarters and all of this but um the truth is that uh you should definitely check out revolvers information because at the same time that darren's breaking all of this amazing crazy information where it's like apparent that the pipe bomb part of january 6 is now proven to be pretty much a hoax um what we also hear is that at the same time as people are rotting in jail they're still deciding 
um, the obstruction charge, the 512 charge and all of that, that's going in front of uh, the court in the Fisher case. Uh, we find out that Seattle has settled with BLM and the Chad occupants, if you remember them from the summer of 2020 peaceful protests of burning down cities, et cetera. The Seattle has given uh, those terrorists, in my opinion, $10 million. So while the January 6th people, many of them in jail, lives ruined, um, uh, careers ruined, reputations ruined, families destroyed, many of them are um, broke, if not uh, in debt over the charges from January 6th. Uh, hundreds of them did not go into the Capitol. Uh, we have here Seattle agreed to a $10 million payout to 50 rioters injured by police, uh, many injured by police in, uh, in DC on January 6th as well. Uh, Denver is paying 4.7 million to 300 BLM, uh, rioters. Also Philadelphia, 9 million, New York city, 13 million. A uh, total of $90 million in payouts to BLM and Antifa uh, 2020 uh, protesters, rioters, whatever you want to call them. Uh, juxtapose that with uh, the January 6th people, and it's really just a travesty. Again, uh, the two-tier justice system, it's more like a, a ground floor and a penthouse between the justice systems going on here and paying out these people in money. And it's just, it's kind of the, a lot of the same... Um tactics because in in the j6 uh you know we've listened in on some of the uh sentencing and uh the judges were actually you know spewing um lies false narratives about how many people were killed there and and um you know you know we listened live and they were ab absolutely you know untruthful uh in in so many ways so and you know they they're just they're they're rewarding uh this 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 behavior this basically terrorism uh and you know we we saw it in new york one of the reasons why we had to leave is because there's there's no uh you know you can't defend yourself in new york remember the uh there was a bodega guy who was attacked and he defended himself and he was immediately arrested i mean you know, we've How about become the kid, a, Penny a on the, the the guy uh, Penny on the subway? Somebody that guy was That's threatening to kill people, attack people. He's uh, he's probably will go to jail. I mean, defending yourself at all in any of these cities. I've lived in both Los Angeles and in New York City. Both very strict gun laws. Uh, can't really get a gun, even even if you're victim of violence. In uh, we know, I know somebody personally. She couldn't defend herself. She got rejected. There was, they said that there was no reason until she was attacked. There was nothing she could do to protect herself basically. And in New York city, that includes, you know, you can be charged even if you hit somebody with a stick or, or pepper spray or something. And it's, it's really dangerous, um, to not be able to protect yourself. But as you know, uh, this, it doesn't stop the uh, government right now, we have a uh, bill being put forward. We've talked about extensively before, but HR 6981, Preventing Private Paramilitary Activity Act of 2024. Of course, Goldman and Raskin are involved in that, and they know exactly what's coming in 2024. But forget protecting your neighborhood or yourself, because in this act, uh, they would like to say that a paramilitary uh, militia includes three people or more. So um, that is, again, uh, a, an attack on the Second Amendment. There's a lot of information out there that um, Joe Biden and his uh, friends are going to be going after 
actually trying to uh, ban and, uh, and reverse any uh, gun laws at all. They're involved in something called the White House Community Violence Intervention Collaborative. Uh, it sounds very, very serious. Uh, the White House uh, Community Violence Intervention Collaborative is uh, to address gun crime. And it appears that this uh, bill uh, possibly came through this channel. And this channel, oddly enough, is um, is run by somebody that we've talked about before here in the past, but hasn't uh, gotten enough new uh, people. Now we're talking about him as the, the new George Soros. He is not new. Uh, his name is uh, Jonathan Arnold of Arnold Ventures. And he apparently handed over $13 million to five groups linked to the movement to combat disinformation and misinformation well before he got involved in uh, this group that is uh, behind the crackdown on uh, gun violence. So uh, he is now involved in that. And they are uh, they have uh, all over the country. They have pop-ups, of course. We'll talk about some of them later, um, it, having to do with other things. But this is a 18-month um, period. So between July 2021 and December 2022, they sought to scale evidence-based community-led strategies to reduce gun violence and en enhance public safety. That is what they claim that they are about. Uh, coalition to Advance Public Safety. Um, so this is one of many people, uh, billionaires in our nation that are involved in this uh, circumventing our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, uh, we the people, and getting involved um, in uh, policymaking that is not where these billionaires belong. But he is certainly one of these billionaires involved in this. And um, not only the disinformation campaign, but also the uh, grabbing the gun campaign. Arnold uh donated over 13 million dollars to the new venture fund which we'll talk about later and also he's climate change environmentalist stuff and uh the climate cores that they're starting of course and of course he is uh in, in involved with arnold ventures is one of many people funding this community violence intervention uh program that is set to take away guns uh and do very little to do anything else. But um, that includes also the uh, Casey Foundation, as usual, the Ford Foundation, Kellogg Foundation, George Soros Open Society, uh, and a bunch of other NGOs, Emerson Collective, of course, and uh, MacArthur Foundation. They've joined together. Um, and he's also involved in a lot of criminal justice overhauls. So we have that going on while at the same time, we have the persecution of uh, Donald Trump on steroids out there. Hey, Mel. Which, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to mention that this this domestic terrorism uh, or, or the uh, the militia they they want to ban militias that will preventing call private paramilitary activity act of twenty twenty four. Okay, so I, I wanted to make some comments on that. Number one, what they're doing is they're trying to foment this domestic terrorism narrative, right? They're trying right. to make that you know a thing, and we know that for a fact because we've talked to some of the FBI whistleblowers that we've had on the show. And they were pulled off, uh, you know, uh, uh, protecting, uh, you know, child trafficking and, and other important uh, duties to try to develop uh, domestic terrorism uh, cases. So uh, that and if you read that that um, that that bill, what they're trying to put forth, it it's it's written in a way it seems to me that that really anyone that that goes against the narrative 
could be viewed as someone who's, uh, you know, engaging in some sort of a domestic terrorism. Or the other word they use is malinformation, which is true information, but that could be used to, um, to dis, you know, to uh, discredit, if you will, the powers that be. Or you're going to talk about, I know, isn't it the unintended consequences theory that the yeah, uh, the collateral pretty- consequences. Yeah, and I'll get into that, that in a moment. And this bill in particular isn't isn't necessarily about malinformation as much as they're putting out malinformation and false right. information. But basically, the truth is that all of us know that these illegals are being shipped all over the country. I've warned everyone. I've known for a long time. The same people that organized the Black Lives Matter and gave them all the signs and getting dealt with all the bailed them all out of jail and all the same money has been organizing something called hashtag demand citizens which is expected to roll out in riots uh, come February and March after the ceasefire uh, riots uh, die down that the same people, of course, are paying for if you look at the patterns. But um, this is uh, actually so that you cannot defend your neighborhood or yourself. It says that uh, private paramilitary activity is uh, unlawful to knowingly in a circumstance described in subsection B while acting as part or on behalf of a private paramilitary organization and armed with a firearm explosive and serial device and or dangerous weapon undefined. And then it goes through all these different things. Then it lists the circumstances. And literally, if you are protecting your your neighborhood, remember the McCluskeys, anything else during any uprising, upcoming, uh, Raskin and, uh, and, and Goldman and the rest of them, they do not believe that you should be able to uh, defend yourself, even if the other people have guns and weapons and all of that. And um, people should go look up the bill. It's online. Uh, These people are very proud of taking away your guns. Uh, Of course, Raskin's behind the Socialist uh, Democrats of America bill to take God out of the country. So this isn't a shock to anyone. Uh, But again, this is really about, I'll tell you who's involved, Raskin, Carson, Kasten, Goldman, um, and uh, Mullen, Norton, Salinas, Takano, and Johnson. And uh, basically, um, for whatever's coming down the pike this year, we don't know what is coming, uh, but it could be uh, the terrorists coming across the border. It could be the escalations between Iran and in the Middle East. It could be all the people that came from Afghanistan and were not followed. It could be Ilhan Omar up there riling up the Somalis this week. It could be whatever it is, you know, but it's not American patriots that are the problem in America. If there's a problem, the problem are the people that keep egging us on and and fueling the color revolution. So we think each other are the problem when it's really uh, manufactured destruction of America. But, you know, we have to be aware of everything that's happening. Um, One thing, there are good things happening, which I'd like to jump to. I didn't mean to get into the gun thing too soon, but uh, you should know that and that it is funded by all the foundations that are funding everything else, the lawfare, the voting stuff. The, uh, the immigration, all of it, uh, you follow the money, you're going to find the same 10 foundations. Some of them I just mentioned about this gun gun thing. Um, I do want to talk about a couple of good, good things that are happening out there, I think, for actual truth and justice. Uh, and I do want to say, so, uh, Justice Sotomayor did an interview where she said that she's, she lives in frustration and she's exhausted with her work at SCOTUS. I mean, these people take off a lot of time, as you've noticed, uh, since it's a lot of time between stuff and they have all kinds of clerks and workers. But um, Sotomayor is very disappointed with her time 
uh, on uh, the Supreme Court. She didn't expect to be living this way. She said cases are bigger. They're more demanding. The number of amici are getting greater. And you know that our emergency calendar is so much more active. I'm tired. There used to be time when we had a good chunk of the summer break. Not anymore. The emergency calendar is busy almost on a weekly basis. Well, maybe that's because you nothing about the lawfare and the weaponization of the Department of Justice and the FBI and all of these cases. And so you're busier than ever because the web, because, uh, you know, all of these rogue groups, especially the private uh, DC NGOs and law for multinational law firms uh, continue to flood the system with legal maneuvers to try to make this country an actual majority where 51%, that means you guys, them, 51% control and dictate to 49%, which is why we are a constitutional republic. Because as the founders said, and I said last week, the reason we are not a straight democracy is because 51% ruling over 49% is the fastest way to a monarchy or dictatorship. And if you think the people complaining about it that we'll talk about soon don't know that, and when they say Trump's going to destroy democracy, it's going to democracy dies in darkness, democracy this and democracy that, they mean their democracy. They mean their full control, one party rule over this nation and by any means necessary. But we'll get into some of the reasons that that's happening. But one good thing that has come to light is a um, is a presidential memo uh, that uh, basically it was secret until now and uh, really could throw a wrench in one of the cases we'll discuss a little later, which is the Jack Smith case. Now, there was um, some of the people from former uh, Department of Justice, Attorney General Meese, other people have put in a brief that is probably exhausting, Judge Sotomayor, um, where they believe that the appointment of Jack Smith is unconstitutional to begin with. Uh, we don't know where that is, but one of the cases in front of um, the justices and uh, the D.C. court um, and Jack Smith is pushing is this um, classified documents case. I don't know if you guys know, but they have decided that they will not be charging Vice President Biden with the documents that they found all over his garage and at the Penn Center, and we God knows what they have at the uh, at University of Delaware or uh, in, at University of Pennsylvania or in his house or wherever he hides stuff. But um, he wasn't the president, and he had no right to take any documents. But um, they've decided not to charge. Joe Biden with any of the classified documents, but they are, as we know, using the Espionage Act and other uh, uh, lawfare tactics uh, redefined to go after Trump. But now we find out that Obama in 2014, uh, following the Russia hacking that didn't happen, okay, because it was likely given to uh, WikiLeaks by a now deceased, murdered uh, DNC staffer, but that's a whole nother story we talk about when we talk about the Seth Rich story. But in the meantime, after the Russia hacking, the failure to disclose this info uh, uh, to Trump and everyone before bringing this case is a little shady on the whole of it. But what we are talking about here is that Obama memo called Presidential Information Technology Committee could change presumptions regarding records President Trump received and possessed. So, of course, America's First Legal and others have jumped on this to say, hold on, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe you geniuses, Weissman and Eisen and all you guys behind the scenes made a mistake here. So, um, 
basically uh where we are okay so here we are we are here so this memo uh it says that um president presidential memorandum establishing the director of white house information technology and the executive committee for presidential information technology that basically leaves it up to the president to decide um anything to do with uh documents and classification and other um other things having to do with classifying. So evidence disclosing the PITC system may be favorable to former President Trump, yet the government may have failed to disclose it. Surprise, surprise. Federal prosecutors have a duty to learn of any favorable evidence known to others acting on the government's behalf under what is known as Brady obligations. That comes back to many cases uh, under the FISA court and Russiagate. Prosecutors have an affirmative duty to reveal any evidence material to guilt or punishment. So it turns out that this memorandum purported to establish the president's exclusive control. And this is on Obama made this memo for Obama, which we're in Obama's third term because all the people that work for Obama are now running all of the government agencies that are uh, involved in this lawfare right now. But so the president's exclusive control of information resources and information systems provided to the president, vice president, and executives. To emphasize this notion of control, the memorandum stated, nothing in the memorandum may be construed to delegate the ownership or any rights associated with ownership or any information resources or information systems, nor any record to any entity outside the executive. Um, The memorandum thus made clear that records sent to the president systems or records originating on these systems are controlled by the president, notably because the PITC memorandum relies upon definitions of information systems and information technology referred to in section 3502 of the title four of the United States code. Uh, So basically Obama, to make sure that Obama controlled any classified information that would be uh, found after Obama left office uh, probably has a good chance of helping Donald Trump in the classified uh, case. We know that they're also looking at immunity. Uh, and Sotomayor is looking at that as well. So we have that as well going on. Um, any thoughts on on them not disclosing Trump? And um, certainly they should have known about well, it, correct? Well, look, I mean, we've seen over and over again, so people don't um, recall or, or know what the Brady, um, uh, the the Brady information is it's exculpatory evidence. It's evidence that proves that or supports a case that that of innocence, right? And basically, in every of these lawfare uh, trials, from J six to Trump stuff to you know any number of cases, the 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 person who is charged, uh, typically someone who's not in the deep state. Uh, has not been allowed to provide a defense. You know, they, they they have not been allowed to provide any type of defense and and defensive uh, or exculpatory or Brady uh, material was not um, disclosed or allowed. So again, this is a total perversion of what uh, our justice system was supposed to be, like we were talking earlier, that you expect justice to, to be, you know, transparent and fair. And, um, and that's not the case at all. It's actually, like I said, upside down and heavily weighted toward um, 
this narrative of taking down our country and taking down the uh, the leaders that the we the people are uh, have put forth forward. So so yeah, it's very uh, to be uh, caught up in the justice system. Yeah, and you know what, Jack Smith should have known about this, but certainly the people that wrote everything for Jack Smith did know about this because they are the same people behind uh, the entire Russia collusion, crossfire hurricane. And we'll get more into who is behind a lot of these lawsuits and really writing them because it is not the people that are on the front uh, front lines. And um, God memo comes out and uh, impacts the Jack Smith classified document case as it should and embarrasses the crossfire hurricane lawyers and the Mueller team that is really behind all of this. Now, second, on another case uh, against Donald Trump, we have the very shocking and every day more alarming Fannie Willis and her uh, boyfriend, uh, who happened to have settled his divorce, very uh, contentious divorce, right before either of them were expected to have to testify. That would be Fannie Willis or um, her uh, special prosecutor boyfriend that she hired. Um, so... Uh, um, there have been 22 articles of impeachment filed for oppression and tyrannical partiality uh, filed against uh, Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. Um, Georgia lawmakers filed a resolution Friday to impeach her uh, for various acts of malfeasance. Allegations emerged that the special prosecutor she hired to go to after Donald Trump turned out to be her lover, whom she paid over $700,000 before he dropped thousands of dollars to take her on lavish vacation. Um, Danny Willis has a long list of potential conflicts, uh, and, and that is going on, uh, said Rep. Charlie Bird in a January 26th statement accompanying the introduction H.R. 872, a resolution to vote on impeachment charges against Willis. Of course, uh, Kemp and Raffensperger are all caught up in all kinds of things. We talked about um, the other day uh, all of the things happening with um uh, two people in court right now in the Georgia election case and Raffensperger, which are shocking and disturbing. But um, turns out that uh, Fannie Willis um, is uh, being looked at closely. And at the same time, uh, it turns out that um, the resolution lays out uh, the case against Willis, accusing her of violating her oath of office and states that any public officer who willfully and intentionally violates the terms of his oath as prescribed by law, uh, shall upon conviction thereof be punished by imprisonment for not less than one nor more than five years. So this is pretty serious stuff being a a a alleged about this. And um, also, don't forget, it's not just Donald Trump that she brought charges against. It's 18 other co-defendants, many of them just normal people that are being broke and broken uh, by this lawfare campaign um, that, again, just like Jack Smith, is really writing all this stuff for Fannie Willis. I think we'll find out uh, later in this show who's behind most of this. But um, this indictment, uh, it says that she grossly violated, and some people are saying that she doesn't even have a signed oath of office, which is weird. So we, we should probably look into that as well, because uh, I don't know what is going on there, but it's pretty important. And on top of that about Fannie Willis, if that's not bad enough, um, just today, the folks over at the Free Beacon, who break a lot of good news, in my opinion, uh, the Free Beacon has found um, a has released a Fannie Willis uh, had fired a whistleblower about misused funds in the Georgia uh, District Attorney's Office. Uh, we can play that little tape. This is a uh, pretty. This is on top of 
uh, the impeachment 22 counts. If you had to give me a sentence, what is the sentence theme? Once I told him about his respectfully and in an email about his lack of leadership and the fact that he wanted to do things with grants that were impossible. And I kept telling him, like, we can't do that and questioning stuff. He would take me off projects, tell people I wasn't doing what I was supposed to because I questioned him. Because I understood, I helped write that grant. I knew what was in that grant. He told everybody in front of Crystal, Deontay, everybody, we're going to get MacBooks. We're going to do that. We're going to get swag. We're going to use it for travel. I said, you cannot do that. It's a very, very specific grant. Took me off. I questioned Junior DA. There's kids in there from out of the, the, um, the county, all this. Took me off junior DA. I did not want to do it. He made it look as if I wasn't doing what I needed to do because I okay. questioned him. No, I mean, again, yeah. it's 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 the same thing like Eugene Carroll. It's like the lottery mentality. They they're um, you know, I've talked about this before. It's you know, I don't know if it's sociopathic, but you know, it's basically it's you know, it's kind of this criminal mentality. Like it's like get the money and spend the money on me. They they don't really yeah. think in terms of of morals and norms and responsibility in their roles just like um they have, uh, no, integrity. They have no integrity yeah no integrity so sotomayor is like that's a really important job and jobs are hard you know i work when you work like in like she's a job tired, rob she's tired and she's emotionally you know, drained by some of these decisions look at, look at trump i mean he's working 24 7 anyone who has a legitimate you know, important job and, you know, and especially if it's high paying, I mean, you're working 24 seven. Now you take your breaks, you have your family, whatever, but it's work. It's called work. It's ridiculous. The Sotomayor thing is so ridiculous. She's 69 years old and she's a Supreme Court justice complaining because their summer break was cut short while uh, <laughs> they are they are presiding over all these things that are just outrageous. Uh, but that video that you just saw, that audio, uh, this woman should be lauded and she should get the best out there right, right now. Her name's Amanda Timpson. She um, actually she she had a she had a job that's really important alternative to to juvenile court system. She dealt with nonviolent juvenile offenders, and she saw this happen. She was involved, and it's very complicated to do. So she knew what was going on if she was involved. That was a meeting. The person on the other side that she's speaking to is Fannie Willis, and that was a meeting of her telling Fannie Willis that the the guy that worked for Fannie Willis, Michael Cuffey. Uh, had uh, planned to use part of a $488,000 taxpayer-funded federal grant that was earmarked for the Center of Youth Empowerment and Gang Prevention to pay for swag, computers, and travel. Uh, Willis was on the other side, and, uh, and later in the conversation, Willis apologized to Timpson and said that Coffee had failed her administration. Less than two months later, Willis was abruptly terminated um, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Willis abruptly terminated Timpson and had to, her escorted out of the office with seven armed investigators. Uh, when Timpson filed a whistleblower complaint the following year, the alleged wrongful termination, Willis's office issued a statement describing Timpson as a holdover from a previous administration who was terminated because of her failure to meet the standards of a new administration. So fired her. This woman, obviously, we heard the tape. She had integrity. She said she knows how the grants work. She worked. She needed the money, obviously, to help with uh, her youth program for nonviolent youth offenders. 
And um, Timpson uh, said that the, it's a pattern in uh, 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 Fanny's uh, department. She said, my case and Nathan Wade's case are very similar when you break them down point by point. Ethical violations, abuse of power, and misuse of county, state, and federal funding. Uh, Timson, who joined the Fulton County District Attorney Office as Director of Gang Prevention in Atlanta, for, in Fulton County, and intervention in 2018 was Willis would take the office in a new direction in December 2020. Willis named Timson to 2021 Executive Leadership Team, and then fired her, saying that she was a whole you know why? problem. Because she had standards, because she had integrity. Because she actually, um, you know, felt that the that the you know what what she did, she uh, you know she she wanted to uphold her, her end of uh, part of writing that grant and knowing what the money's supposed to go for. So she didn't want to be yeah, on the and, grift, and that's what they got rid of her. Yeah, and she also wanted that money to go to the kids she was working with. That's a tough job, you know, for because they get gangs, as we know from me and multiple cities and having a lot of friends who have kids that have been sucked into some of this stuff. They go after kids 11, 12 years old. You know, those are the kids that they get to go sell the drugs on the street because they say, if you get arrested, nothing will happen to you. Well, you know where they go to that woman when they get caught. And uh, she didn't want to see that. And people should. Uh, I hope I hope people uh, know about her and, and, and give her a hand and help her out because she actually is somebody who proved integrity. And I'm glad she taped that because now we know exactly who uh, Willis is and that, you know, uh, her boyfriend's actions of using all that money, the 700000 he's made so far. Um, should shine some light on what's going on in some of these places. Because also remember those allegations that Patrick Byrne put out about Jack Smith. It's like, you know, and there's allegations also about Alvin Bragg and about, um, what's her name, uh, Letitia James and all of that. I mean, why, and are all these people George Soros hires? All these, all these DAs that are filing all these cases and the special counsel, not Smith. He apparently, according to very prominent former attorney generals and others and multiple people that signed that letter that the entire appointment of Jack Smith is unconstitutional and should never have happened that that wasn't um, Joe Biden's uh, appointment to make. Now, last night, uh, another another situation going on with the uh, what I call the uh, I don't even know what to call them. Deep state is too crazy. Uh, it's too weak. It's too weak of a word for what we're dealing with here. Um, but la- last night, as most of you know by now, um, a vote advanced uh, Mayorkas impeachment articles to the House floor. Uh, it is way overdue. Uh, Mayorkas, if you guys don't know, has been in the uh, government for a very, very long time. He's also one of the people that has been uh, giddy and talked about, along with Joe Biden, which we played the clip before, um, the uh, excitement under making America uh, uh, non-Hispanic white minority. So don't think that anything that's going on is not uh, planned. Of course, it's the UN, and we'll get into a lot of that other stuff and and what is going on, the open societies, the globalist plans to uh, collapse America from within. But um, one of the key players, obviously, is Mayorkas. So 18 Republican members of the House Committee on Homeland Security voted uh, on January 31st uh, last night after 14 hours of debating it. How that's possible, I don't know. 
But uh, the final vote, as the panel's 15 Democrats obviously unanimously opposed it because according to them, and of course, Dan Goldman, who's everywhere, including in the, was involved in the fraudulent original uh, Ukraine impeachment case, as most of you remember, uh, Dan Goldman is really an anomaly to most. But uh, in the meantime, uh, they all voted against it, but it passed anyway. One of the places where we actually still have Republicans or rhinos or whatever they are working uh, somewhat on the behalf, even though the um, the bill that they put forward is unacceptable. But um, so uh, the this went forward and um, they will vote regarding uh, Mr. Mayorkas. This is because 14 voted in favor of H.R. 957. Uh, that resolution was approved by the full House on a 225 to 187 vote with 21 members not voting. 12 of the 21 not voting were Democrats, nine Republicans. Why you would not vote in an impeachment hearing on Mayorkas should tell everyone, please go look at uh, these names because uh, if they are in your district, you need to find a replacement. Um, the resolution put the House on record in denouncing the Biden administration open border policy, condemning the national security and public safety crisis that President Joe Biden, uh, border czar, vice president, border czar, vice president Kamala Harris and um, Secretary of Department of Homeland Security Mayorkas and other Biden administration officials have created along the southwest border and urging President Biden to end uh, his administration's open border policy. As most of you know, Joe Biden has put out tweets uh, out of his uh, 26-year-olds that are running his Twitter account, I I believe. I saw Elmo on there yesterday, not surprising. But anyway, uh, he had tweeted out that he would shut the border now if they passed the new border uh, bill, the joke of a bill that they put forward that ties uh, Ukraine funding and a whole lot of other things, including over $100 million for families coming into this country uh, for resettlement. Um, anyway, uh, that is what he is saying. He can close, he can, he reversed everything that was working at the border. And instead of improving it, as you guys know, he opened the border wide up. Um, the Biden administration open border policy, um, at this point, uh, is, um, is on the table. Uh, Article one of the measure accuses Mayorkas of willful and systematic refusal to comply with the laws already on the books that could be enforced at any time. And in part uh, because of his unlawful conduct, millions of illegal aliens entered the United States uh, on the annual basis the last several years and many unlawfully remaining in the United States. 14 Democrats have joined joined in the first round, but it looks like uh, none this time. And um, on top of that, uh, it says Mayorkas chose not to comply with the detention mandate set forth in Section 235 of the Immigration and Nationality Act requiring that all applicants for admission who are not clearly and beyond a doubt entitled to be admitted shall be detained for a removal proceeding. Uh, also, knowingly made false statements and knowingly obstructed lawful oversight of the Department of Homeland Security, um, uh, principally to obfuscate the results of his willful and systematic refusal to comply with the law. Um, the among 10 alleged examples says that Mayorkas denied or delayed access of DHS Office Inspector General uh, information to DHS records information hampering the OIG's ability to effectively perform vital investigations, audits, inspections, and review agency programs, operations to satisfy the OIG's obligations. 72 statutory OIGs working in the cabinet level 
of federal department and, and independent agencies investigate allegations of fraud, waste, and abuse and have not been allowed because Mayorkas has blocked that. Um, so on top of that, Mayorkas has requested less detention space for the upcoming year. At, and, and in fact, less detention space every year since 2020. So uh, that is also out there. So um, it looks like this will move forward. And um, we have to remember uh, that this is uh, a first step. But of course, Dan Goldman, my favorite uh, Democrat, because uh, he's everywhere. Dan Goldman is everywhere. The, the billionaire uh, heir of the Levi Strauss fortune, by the way, a very charmed candidate and got right in in the Republican uh, um, I mean, got right in in New York, not as a Republican, but in New York. Um, he spoke, he's a Democrat in New York. He spoke, uh, he said that you say we have obstruction of Congress. What obstruction? What subpoenas are you talking about? We've all seen this. Uh, Goldman says he has testified more than any other cabinet secretary in the Biden administration. He has cooperated far beyond what any single department did in the Trump administration. You do not specify a single subpoena or single example of how Mayorkas obstructed. Um, he goes on, obviously we've seen Mayorkas obstruct, uh, deny, not turn over information. Um, also then Rep Donald Payne, Democrat, New Jersey, suggested that the explanation for the massive amount of fentanyl coming across the border into the United States during Mr. Mayorkas tenure is a result of Americans demanding the drug that has killed over 100,000 uh, men, women, and children in the last few years, many as a result of taking medicine that was mixed with a deadly substance. Uh, Mr. Payne's comment drew a sharp rebuke. Oh, who cares about that? Oh, and of course, Swalwell, <clears throat> who never dealt was dealt with under anything that he's done so far on his side, he said that the entire impeachment of Mayorkas is about Donald Trump. Uh, he said it's about Donald Trump still doesn't accept Joe Biden as president and his impeachment is the continuation of the insurrection of January 6th. Uh, Swalwell goes on to say that it's it's an embarrassment uh, that they are trying to impeach uh, Mayorkas. And uh, he also put a, a motion on the table uh, ruling uh, that it was um, a violation and uh, that he uh, basically believes that Secretary Mayorkas is um is is a a victim as robert menendez who should not be there anymore and i do not know how screamed that the entire impeachment of mayorkas is because the orange jesus as you call him is more important than the rule of law <laughs> these how people are that, insane right? now i mean you know this this board first of all the border situation is um it's impacting every american and a lot of people so we're seeing it as a, it's kind of this, um, it's this lightning rod of uh, educating or awakening Americans to these these unbelievably corrupt and disastrous policies. And at the same time, they, they keep doubling, tripling, and quadrupling down on on funding, uh, trafficking, drug trafficking, uh, you know, slavery, uh, child trafficking. Uh, you know, tearing down any sense of uh, defensiveness at the border, um, you know, to the tunes of millions of people. Uh, it, you know, it's um, it's inconceivable that this is happening, but we've seen it all over Europe and many other countries where they've broken down the borders and they're trying to, you know, usher in this uh, homogeneous, you know, populace that has no 
culture whatsoever that's easily controllable by the uh, the people that give them the handouts. If they wanted to do anything about the border, all they would have to do is stop giving individuals five to ten thousand dollars, you know, in benefits a month per entree and stop allowing them in unfettered. I mean, it's extraordinary. And and I think people are seeing it and it's becoming, you know, a real liability, but it's a massive, massive danger to our country and um, and to the people in it. Yeah, well, on top of that, Mayorkas has done nothing wrong except for maybe this. Department of Homeland Security released this week illegal immigration figures for December of 2023. December of 2023. The data shows that more, more than 745,000 foreign nationals were released into the United States interior through uh, Mayorkas Biden's new parole pipeline program that allows people after process to go uh, with the uh, explicit uh, commitment to come back for their trial date. Many of those trial dates are as long as 2027, as we found out when we reported on this in New York. The foreign population of 745,000 thousand people and that that is not getaways that is not getaways folks um they have been largely sent into uh populations in nashville tennessee denver colorado oklahoma city washington dc boston massachusetts and other places um this makes up the portion of the catch and release network at the southern border includes migrant mobile app known as cbp1 and on-call humanitarian parole from January through December of 2023, nearly 420,000 foreign nationals were released into the United States interior through the Migrant Mobile app. The app allows users in Mexico to schedule appointments at the border to be released into the country to, on the app, on the phone, given to them by the people that funded this, which we'll talk about them in a second. During the same period, close to 330 foreign nationals were released into the United States interior with humanitarian parole. This is um, unbelievable. Uh, the release of figures comes as the Congressional Budget Office estimates the volume of foreign nationals arriving through the border under Biden's catch and release network uh, since um, January 2021 is about 6.2 million foreign nationals have been welcomed into the United States through this legal, uh, well, not legal by our laws, but through these processes that Mayorkas and Biden put into place. Um, uh, prior estimates stated that Biden's DHS was releasing, releasing about 5,000 foreign nationals into the United States interior every day. Um, so that is pretty shocking stuff. Uh, of course, Mayorkas did nothing wrong. Dan Goldman and Swalwell and Menendez and, and, uh, what's her name? Lee, the screaming last night. This is all about Trump. This is all about Trump. That's how much they love you. That's how much they care about us in the United States and the resources Rob and I were, I was on a show, a round table with a, a huge person who has a giant following on YouTube. Uh, just this week, I was on a, I was the conservative with a Marxist, a communist, a socialist, and a liberal. And um, they all believe that what's happening at the border is still people coming from Mexico that are sending money home, or at least that was the storyline they were given. While well, I added that the Biden administration sends millions uh, to religious nonprofits facilitating mass illegal migration as well. Turns out that um, the immigration studies, a great group, you should go check out the real data there. They actually care about giving you the truth. Um, the Center for Immigration uh, Studies um, 
found that 200 plus NGOs, non-government organizations, the whole entire non-government organization apparatus should be dismantled and not one grant or U.S. taxpayer dollars should go to any of them as far as I'm concerned. But um, 200 NGOs helping uh, UN-led immigration assistance projects uh, pass through taxpayer funding of the worst mass migration in U.S. history. Uh, turns out this is through the United Nations Regional Refugee and Migrant Response Plan, uh, 200 nonprofit groups to dole out $1.6 billion in cash, debit cards, food, clothing, medical treatment, shelter, and even humanitarian transportation during 2024. This is the budget for the upcoming year. Um, through 2024 to millions of U.S. bound immigrants in 17 Latin American nations, including Mexico. Um, so this is also that we are the biggest funder of the United Nations. So 1.6 billion. So it turns out that 30 face-based uh, nonprofits, along with UN NGO partners representing Jewish, Lutheran, Seventh-day Adventist, Catholic, and non-denominational evangelical organization shows that the U.S. State Department Bureau of Population, Refugees, and Migration and the U.S. Agency in International Development, Samantha Power is running that, folks. I hope you know who she is. She's running USAID at the moment. Uh, that was Obama's other uh, U.N. ambassador to Susan Rice, Samantha Power, um, have been maintaining taxpayer funds to these, have been sending uh, taxpayer funds to these groups, which then distribute them, keep hundreds of thousands of migrants comfortably moving towards illegal U.S. southern border crossings and then help them once they cross. Um, record taxpayer support of the United Nations is spearheading this. And this is through the NGOs, uh, comes through the UN's 2324 Regional Refugee and Migrant Response Plan, again, um, and this is, uh, again, also, uh, it says that the, um, this is another group that we should look at the international organization of migration. Okay. Through the UN and the state department are, and the USAID are working together at 1.4 billion in just the last 12 months have gone to, uh, this as well, according to USA spending.gov, a database that tracks federal spending. So um, now this is part of and parcel of the State Department agreement uh, it, uh, to the 2023 to 2025 UN framework to cooperation with the UNHCR to pay into the effort and to um, politically support its goals. These goals align with Agenda 2030. Uh, shocking <laughs> news there, I'm sure. Uh, and uh, I just want to mention, because we're talking about some swamp creatures that are involved here. So who is running the International Organization of Migration at the United Nations um, uh, and working with Mayorkas to facilitate getting people not just to our border, across our border, funding them, resettling them, paying for them, and using our taxpayer dollars to do it all? Well, a woman named Amy Pope, an open borders advocate uh, is a UN deputy secretary of I IOM, International Organization of Migration, the pre preeminent NGO in the field of migration. She plays an integral role uh, in the uh, illegal surges of the southern border as a partner from the UN of DHS Mayorkas. Uh, now, she actually, again, comes through uh, the O'Biden regime, uh, Obama regime, I'm sorry. Under Obama, she uh, worked as DOJ Deputy Chief of Staff, Deputy Assistant to President, 
Deputy Homeland Security Advisor, Special Assistant to the President, uh, Transborder Security Director, Interior Enforcement 2010 to 2016. During Trump's term, she left and she partnered with UK Schilling's law firm, an associate law firm, oh, tied to Chantham House, the globalist think tank that is aligned with the Council of Foreign Relations, and as a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council from 2017 to 2020, full-on globalist influencer known as the Atlantic Council. So uh, Chantham House um, Migration Policy Institute commissioned Pope, Amy Pope, that's running this UN agency that's working with Mayorkas, for a white paper on immigration and U.S. national security. Uh, Institute advocated for permanent legal residence for undocumented immigrants in the United States and and to push the UN global migration policy. Uh, This group was funded by the Gates Foundation, George Soros Open Society, and many others um, that funded the Migration Policy Institute. The report concluded domestic terrorists represent the most significant threat, while asylum seekers uh, pose a relatively low threat. So Amy Pope, who is the uh, UN partner to Mayorkas, wrote this. The primary terrorist threat come from a small pocket of radicalized individuals or lone wolves, many of whom were born and raised in the United States or in Europe and would not be obvious targets of exclusion. Uh, Unfortunately, there is also evidence that much needed resources, political will and capabilities are increasingly being siphoned away from addressing meaningful threats to national security and focused on extremely low threats posed by uh, posed by people seeking asylum, economic advancement, family reunification and otherwise traveling for reasons into the United States. She uh, advocates for much more uh, money and priority, just like Mayorkas, to be put towards fighting domestic violence extremism. Amy Pope uh, is the Obama acolyte who heads the UNIOM and is funding and coordinating the uh, situation here, says a user. Um, Senior advisor on migration with the Biden administration before becoming the deputy director for the United Nations International Organization of Migration. Last year, the State Department, which provides substantial funding for the uh, International Organization for Migration, successfully campaigned to get Amy Pope elected to a five-year term at the United Nations. Um, and she, uh, her coronation occurred at the UN 87th uh, Assembly meeting where world leaders on human mobility to harness the power of migration, where migration is a powerful driver to fulfill UN's Agenda 2030 and 17 development goals. Pope followed up with a victory lap as a panelist on the UN Climate Change Conference, COP28, and the World Economic Forum Conference. Her slogan is, stakeholders around the world, a you... <laughs> Her ideology is obviously America last. IOM aims to work closely with governments and and other United Nations agencies to enable resettlement of of migrants around the world. Pope's budget strategic plan is increasing the 2024 budget to $7.9 billion, a threefold increase since 2023 in her current position. Rob? (laughs) Well... Here's my thought. As we move through this Marxist color revolution uh, uh, period of time, um, and they they kind of they they turn up the heat on this Cloward Piven strategy to 
destroy uh, you know, all of our, our, you know, infrastructure and services, overwhelming anything that we could possibly do, printing money like there's, uh, you know, uh, there's, it just comes out of thin air. Um, you know, it, it creates the societal breakdown. Um, it, it, as you always say that, that our common goals are a strength. Diversity is not a strength. Common goals are a strength. It, it, if diverse people bring common goals together, then that's great. But we're not experiencing that now. What we're experiencing is the degradation of our society, the uh, the, the the breakdown of the rule of law, and um, it, you know, and they're just feeding the fire. They're feeding the fire. It's extraordinary. Um, you know, people are starting to see it more and more. But um, and they can stand there up on on TV, and they can say this with a straight face. I don't know how these people sleep. You know, no wonder they're so morally and, and, you know, corrupt and, and, um, you know, they operate, they, their behavior is so, so strange because I, I don't, I, I couldn't go to sleep or wake up in the morning without, um, you know, feeling like, you know, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. It's like, I don't know how these people live. Yeah. Well, I know. Well, digging into this, because the most disturbing part is that is that roundtable I was on last week, Rob, where where the girl that has a giant when I tell you she has 500 million, uh, 500,000 followers, I think, on YouTube, which I was kicked off of three and a half years ago because of stories like this. But I, I have to tell you that I I just cannot believe that the American people aren't being told the truth about the border. And apparently they're not. Um, but I was looking into this and there's something called the center for public integrity is a left of center, of course, investigative journalism group headquartered in Washington, DC. Um, they say that they're nonpartisan bipartisan for tax purposes, of course. Um, but the majority of investigations center around sensationalizing activities of the Republicans and conservatives, both inside and outside the government. And they, uh, Mm -hmm. published together. Dozens of articles and books uh, attacking uh, Republicans. Certainly, they've been highly critical of the Trump administration, anyone connected to Trump. Uh, they greatly exaggerate everything that happens with Trump. They also uh, ask supporters to scour our searchable, sortable public database of Trump administration financial disclosures of people involved in Trump's circle to probe the mysterious companies contained within. The center also states that it has a comprehensive opposition research files on members of Trump's administration and people connected to them. The Center for Public Integrity, of course, is funded by Ford Foundation, Omidar Foundation, the Foundation for the Open Society, George Soros, MacArthur Foundation, Knight Foundation, and it takes private money from foundations of many of the richest Americans, including Leonardo DiCaprio. The Center for Public Integrity was founded by Charles Lewis, a former news producer in 1989, uh, and has been um, now uh, focuses almost predominantly on bucking Republican and Trump narratives. And uh, so when I was looking all this up, I found on their on this journalism group's website uh, something very interesting. So they have a whole thing on exposing attacks on democracy. And in the first section of the Center for Public Integrity, this journalism group of left-wing journalists uh, that then sends out all their journalism, kind of like media matters, it appears, to then be put on the first five pages of Google, because the first five pages, if you Google anything now, will be controlled by the UN or uh, or one of their uh, controlled, captured media outlets. Um, it says this on their page, exposing attacks on democracy. 
As demographic changes put non-Hispanic white Americans on the verge of being a minority in the United States. Let me read that again. As demographic changes put non-Hispanic white Americans on the verge of being a minority in the United States, our country faces historic attacks against the very existence of a multiracial democracy. Our deep data-driven investigative reporting about voting rights, immigration, the criminal justice system, and the powerful interests behind government decisions draws on the context of history to confront society's ongoing failure to live up to the promises of equal protection under the law and one person, one vote. The Center for Public Integrity and our investigative journalists are on top of this. Let me read that first (laughs) line again. As demographic changes put non-Hispanic white Americans on the verge of being a minority in the United States. That is white people, which are not even close to being a minority in the United States. But apparently the Center for Public Integrity would like that to happen and are uh, telling us that that is happening. And if you go on their website, you will see that they equate uh, our democracy basically on remaining a democracy only insofar as we integrate uh, their work. They also fight against the black versus white wealth gap. Uh, That's another area. They fight against um, unequal uh, education and discriminatory practices, including uh, keeping out uh, education such as CRT. And they also uh, fight uh, people that are climate deniers. So again, uh, there is a vast network of NGOs and nonprofits funded by all the same billionaires that we might get into now, uh, because what I am finding is very disturbing uh, about what is going on. Um, We have been looking, uh, great people have done great work. I've mentioned Darren Beatty before, great work on Norm Eisen and his friend come into play in this half of the show. So I hope you're sticking with us. But Julie Kelly's been doing great work as well. Many other people, my friend Steve Baker on January 6th, lots of good stuff out there. And they can keep fighting. Look, Media Matters just put up a hit piece on me. They do it all the time to everyone, everyone else. Anyone that speaks, it's all Saul Alinsky. And um, that's why I do want to take a moment and thank the people that support this show and support my partners because it is just me and Rob. And uh, I get attacked endlessly, which is at this point okay, because it's a hill worth dying on to tell the American people what is really going on, who is really running this country, and what is really happening here. And uh, Rob and I are committed to uh, whatever it takes. And I saw uh, James O'Keefe put out something. There's Laura Logan. There's a lot of people out there that are being threatened worse than I am and uh, and stalked and surveilled and and uh attacked online and all of that. But you know what, as long as I feel like I'm putting out information that can help you understand who the enemy is, because it is not each other, I I will venture to say, and what I'm going to talk about in the rest of the show, I firmly believe after the last six days of reading so much, through so much and following the money a, a lot, Um, What is really disturbing to me right now is, first of all, a lot of these bipartisan, you know, um, uh, Zuckerberg, open society backed voting uh, groups, the Obama voting groups, all these are voting groups that are really that say that they're for marginalized people, people of color. They they don't want the Republicans to, you know, they say that um, voter ID is racist. Mail at home ballots is the only way to have everyone vote. I mean, all the things that they've done, they put in for, for the pandemic, all the uh, cheating apparatuses for the election. Um, 
what I what I'm finding is I don't think that they want any of us to vote because uh, these globalist billionaire oligarchs that actually run our country and run and fund all these NGOs and foundations and philanthropathies, uh, they um, if you really read what they say, which I do, uh, unfortunately, um, they don't want any American citizen to have a vote. It, it harkens back to the um, to the uh, architect, one of the architects of where we are right now, uh, the plan of global governance to um, uh, Rockefeller, when he said uh, basically that a um, a uh, banker class. Uh, that runs the country is surely preferable. A, a, an elite banking educated class running this country is preferable to auto determination of the people. Uh, the plebs, uh, I guess, um, is what he's talking about. But I, I've said that in many speeches, but um, also in the book, Tragedy and Hope. I mean, Carol Quigley, uh, who Clinton said was his mentor at Georgetown or his idol to some extent, just as Hillary Clinton thought that of Saul Alinsky, um, basically said that it's the whole two party thing is an illusion so that the people of America think that they have a choice when they don't. And I'm saying this, not just about Trump voters. They don't just want Trump voters to not have a vote. I truly believe that this American aristocracy, many of them, Harvard educated lawyers and other, uh, poison Ivy league educated lawyers. They're not people of color fighting for fair elections. They're not, you know, Hispanics fighting for fair elections. They're not. They are run by the same exact people that are running the open borders, that are running the Trump persecutions, that are running, that ran Crossfire Hurricane, that uh, are aligned with the globalist public-private partnership of the World Economic Forum. Their companies are globalist companies that they make money off of. The boards that they're part of are post-America. They're globalist uh, center centric boards. Um, but I don't believe that they think that the Democrat voters deserve a vote either. I don't think they definitely don't want RFK Jr. voters to have a vote. Certainly anyone that might be going after no labels or um, or even libertarian. These people want no American citizens votes to count at all, period. And, and it's a very disturbing thing to realize when you really look at it and then you follow the money who's funding the NGOs and the get out the vote groups and the uh, supposedly bipartisan groups popping up all over the country, um, whether it's the Democracy Alliance or anything through the, the uh, 400 million Zuckerbucks, which have been rebranded as the U.S. Uh, Alliance of Election Excellence or, or any of these groups, uh, America Votes, uh, what you're going to see is the same exact funding apparatuses behind it. And most of them are not just partners of the World Economic Forum, but are also globalists on boards of all these globalist uh, NGOs and uh, foundations that have their tentacles all over everywhere in the world that is being infiltrated by the Agenda 2030-17 development goals, which I firmly believe are full track and trace surveillance, uh, totalitarian technocracy run by these same people, uh, this is the American wing of it, and their lawyers are the people that are destroying America on every front. And um, I just want to get into a little bit of that. First and foremost, um, there is a lot of collusion going on between the White House and all of the Trump prosecutions. Uh, Julie Kelly's covered it extensively. Other people have. Conservative Treehouse uh, has covered a lot of what I'm going to talk about. Um, so have many other, uh, the Federalist and other people. But when you dig into some of this stuff and you put it together, it paints a picture of a aristocracy similar to if you've ever watched Hunger Games. I suggest if you haven't, you should go watch it now because America 
and and it's it's the goal for the world but i believe what we have in america right now on top of there being a color revolution and if you have not read darren Beatty's pieces on norm eisen who will come up a lot as we speak about this um i suggest you go back to revolver and put in the search uh, engine norm eisen uh really important part of what i'm going to be discussing here and yeah my mom asked me aren't you scared to talk about these people and the truth is yes and no because either I'm going to, and you're going to understand it, and then you're going to go look into what I'm saying and prove it to yourself to realize that we have an elitist class of uh, Ivy League trained lawyers who have turned our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, our Department of Justice, and everything else into a weapon to take away all of our freedom. Because when they're doing all these out, get out to vote things, and they're turning things upside down, every fraudulent vote in America destroys a valid vote of an American citizen. If you think about it that way and you put it into it, every fraudulent persecution, fake, phony, manipulated case against Donald Trump makes our justice system much more unfair and much more likely to expand, to go after everyone that falls into any category. Because what these lawfare scientists is what I call them uh, that are working behind the scenes with some of these groups are doing is they are creating the white papers, they are creating the lawsuits at different NGOs, such as Just Security or at the Atlantic Council or Brookings, and then they are farming them out to attorney generals around this country. This is the exact same people that were behind Crossfire Hurricane. They are the exact same people that spied on a sitting president and committed treason and sedition openly and never were, were held accountable for it. These are the exact same people that are funding almost everything going on with these lawyers that are using lawfare. And first and foremost, uh, the DOJ is uh, functioning uh, in a way that it is not separate uh, from anything going on with Donald Trump. The, uh, as, as Joe Biden has said and Merrick Garland, that they're not involved and Jack Smith is a special counsel so that, they, uh, so that it's not inappropriate um, so Jack Smith obviously is going after Donald Trump in his attempts to overturn the 2020 election. Donald Trump did not attempt to turn over the 2020 election at all. And I, I will prove to you right now that the same people that were involved in Crossfire Hurricane and everything that happened from 2016 to this day, the impeachments, everything else, all the lawfare team uh, behind that, I, I, I don't know why, what, the, what this is about, but it's not about Donald Trump and certainly not about him now. Uh, but they wrote these uh, most of this stuff and handed it off to the prosecutors uh, involved in uh, whatever they're calling. He walked away. And don't forget about the Transition Integrity Project. Um, that was Podesta, Michael Steele, I think Bill Crystal. Um, uh, it was also um, Dunn, um, Rosa Brooks, Norm Eisen. Uh, they gamed out a year before when Trump was doing great before the pandemic, all the ways that Trump could win and how they could stop him and thwart it. I believe the pandemic to be part of that, but that's my personal belief and my opinion. But at the same time, um, those same people are behind a lot of this alleged mishandling of sensitive government files. Well, we told you earlier in the show that there actually was a memo put out by um, Barack Obama that should uh, not only give Trump, uh, you know, a pat what he deserved, which was presidential uh, decision-making on documents from when he was in office, uh, but should have been handed over to Trump's team a long time ago. And uh, frankly, the, uh, the, um, the 
raid on Mar-a-Lago uh, with that memo alone should have been uh, should be tried as as violating the law on their part. That never should have happened, obviously. But um, so Smith took over to be independent uh, from the DOJ. But now we know that he's been anything but independent from the DOJ. And uh, on top of that, we know that uh, Fannie Willis has been anything in, but independent from the DOJ with many meetings uh, um, that have come out. Certainly her boyfriend that's doing the case also has been to um, at meetings of the DOJ. It turns out on top of that, the classified documents case in Florida um, that Biden's in-house lawyers and multiple government agencies dating back to January 2021, including the National Archives and Record Administration, the National Security Council, the FBI Counterintelligence Division, the intelligence community as a whole, Secret Service and the Department of Energy have were all involved uh, in a, uh, it turns out, in a motion that the defense filed on January 16th. Um, defense attorneys representing Trump and his two co-defendants, these poor guys that are just collateral damage, uh, again, just like everyone else that's involved here that has any ties to Trump that questioned the election. My God. Um, this is Walt Nota, I think that's how you pronounce it, and Carlos de Oliveira. They're all for, you know, they're all for helping uh, people of color until it comes to people of color that work for Donald Trump, I guess. So they use the Freedom of Information Act request to obtain 155 pages of communications between government officials, which are attached and heavily redacted from the defense motion um, with Eileen Cannon. The FOIA releases, coupled with other evidence scattered throughout more than 1.2 million pages of discovery, reflect close participation between NARA and the Biden administration components such as the White House Counsel, the DOJ, and the FBI. Um, it's surprising, but not disturbing. Uh, it also says the DOJ misrepresented the origins of the classified documents case to begin with. The DOJ claimed that the FBI opened an investigation into Trump's mishandling of classified files in March 2022. Only after the National Archives discovered papers with classified markings contained in 15 boxes of material that Trump turned over to the agency in January of 2022. Correspondence indicates that Biden's White House um, Office of Record Management, NARA, general counsel discussed what defense attorneys described as an exaggerated claim related to records handling under the Presidential Records Act shortly after Biden took office in 2021. So uh, it catches them right there. And this also goes into contradict um, the narrative uh, because a woman that will come up a lot today, Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco, a longtime Obama loyalist, uh, according to uh, this great work by uh, Julie Kelly, and everyone should uh, be following her on her declassified.live um, uh, reports. Uh, so uh, Lisa Monaco, um, left, uh, was appointed by Biden to essentially run the Department of Justice, if you have not heard of her. Before the criminal referral was officially transmitted by NARA Inspector General on February 9th, 2022, uh, in January 2022, NARA communicated with White House counsel and senior DOJ officials regarding the 15 boxes that Trump returned to them and then acted as the at the direction of those people, Monaco's team, by providing details to NARA and the Office of Inspector General, 
of the intelligence community and the FBI. So um, NARA contacted um, U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia and other people talking of, and the DOJ to discuss potential destruction of presidential records by President Trump. Um, Winsome is now the, the man that was contacted uh, on Jack Smith's team. So he was inside the DOJ and now he's on Jack Smith's team. Um, the rep FBI reportedly opened the investigation. Biden White House officials were in constant communication with NARA all the way up to the time that the investigation was open. Um, and a lot of this information contradicts um, any suggestion that the Biden White House was not involved in this uh, to begin with. And what's scarier than all of that, looking at all this stuff, is I have to tell you something, and this is this is very, very disturbing. Uh, Rob and I did a show the other day with a great guy, uh, Seamus Bruner. He's a great, a great book everyone should read called Controlagarchs. If, uh, I mean, there's people out there, I have to tell you, somebody I love, I think, uh, put out a tweet, a big talk show host who's in his 80s and has had a show on TV for 80, I mean, on radio for eight, probably 30 years. He's came out and said that he, he doesn't think that there's a, a, a globalist oligarchy and all of that and, you know, whatever. It's okay if that's new news, but I believe that there is. And I believe that not only is there, but I don't believe they hide it. And one of the bigger pieces that we talked about on the show with um, Seamus is that, um, what's his name? Uh, Eric Holder, when he was still under, before he was AG for Obama, when he was still under Clinton, uh, put a memo in called uh, Collateral Consequences of Revolution. Bruner's book kind of lays out that this might be why none of these people ever get charged or held accountable. I mean, I would say all the way back to JFK if it came out then, but certainly uh, the Crossfire Hurricane team that spied on a sitting president and all of their partners, nobody was ever held accountable. Nobody was ever prosecuted. I also believe that this memo that Eric Holder put into uh, 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 action um, made it that any prosecutor could decide not to prosecute anyone. This was about the too big to fail banks that nobody went to jail for in 2008 uh, when Holder put it in. But I have a feeling this has a lot to do with the Hillary Clinton um, uh, case as well, uh, with her server that had all kinds of uh, crazy stuff that should have been held accountable and criminally charged. Um, but on top of that, the, maybe the Clinton Foundation. I don't know what this memo is doing, but what I will tell you is that it appears that all the people that were behind Crossfire Hurricane are behind all of this, uh, everything that is happening to Donald Trump. So uh, I just want to talk about a, a few things that I found here that are pretty disturbing and um, should be uh, looked at most likely um, because it turns out if you're looking into some of these cases, uh, you're gonna see two names pop up a lot uh, other than Lisa Monaco uh, who comes up a lot because she is, uh, it appears coordinating a lot of stuff, but Andrew Weissman, who all of you know, to be, uh, the main, um, person behind, uh, the Mueller report, the Mueller investigation. And, and just remember all of these investigations that they're doing are being paid for with taxpayer dollars while we're also sending hundreds of billions of dollars overseas. So I don't know where all this money's coming from, but Andrew Weissman and Norm Eisen, uh, Norm Eisen of the Transition Integrity Project, formerly of Crew, but also Barack Obama's um, friend from uh, Harvard uh, Law School, also Barack Obama's ethics czar, and Andrew Weissman, who was the chief uh, investigator and lawyer behind the Mueller uh, investigation. They keep popping up again over 
when it comes to the Trump persecution cases, all of them. And um, as I'm looking into this stuff and wondering where this is all coming from, I want to play a quick clip from, uh, of course, Nicole Wallace. Everyone should know about Nicole Wallace and where she came from and the Bush family and all of that. But uh, MSNBC is a fully Intel-run uh, operation. It's every, almost everyone there uh, literally um, is uh, involved, in my opinion, in the controlled demolition of America and working towards that. But you know that's up to you to decide. But if you could play the clip by Andrew Weissman, and then I'll get into why I believe that the same people that orchestrated the entire Get Trump, Crossfire Hurricane, both impeachments and everything, the, all the lawfare against General Flynn and everyone else are still right now behind the scenes running the Get Trump campaign. Andrew Weissman, you've just um, issued a tantalizing and newsworthy tweet in your own right um, with your credentials, with your relationships and your expertise. I'm going to read it to our viewers. Quote, a zillion stories about Trump case, but bottom line is that he's getting charged and it will be in D.C. and this week. Open issues are whether others may be charged and whether they will be in D.C. or Florida. Please explain. Sure. Well, First, it is really typical to see what we are seeing in terms of Donald Trump's counsel going to the Department of Justice. We saw the same thing when we were looking at the Manhattan DA's office. That is that prosecutors in cases like this, um, where there's no need to nab the defendant because they're in the middle of committing a crime of, or a violent crime where they're fleeing, they give defense counsel an opportunity to be heard. Um, and to make any and all legal, factual, discretionary arguments as to why there should not be charges. Um, and so here, especially if the reporting is about the attorney-client privilege, I mean, that's just never going to stop uh, you know, anybody from you know, finding that the charges are appropriate because here a judge has approved what it is that happened here. Um, and I should point out the current Solicitor General of the United States worked on the Mueller investigation where the exact same thing was done in front of the exact same judge. So I just think that's going to be a loser. It may be something they're arguing uh, in order to make a political point later. Okay. Um, and so we really. Okay, so uh, that was Andrew Weissman, the guy behind the Mueller investigation, the fake Mueller investigation. They knew that the entire Russia Gate scandal was a fraud from the beginning, from before it happened. I hope everyone out there is clear on that now. Everything that you heard about Russia hacking our election, everything you heard about Trump colluding with Russia, all of that, none of it was true. They knew none of it was true. It was all about stopping Trump. Uh, there was a document that came out. It is on the MelKayShow.com resource page under opposition playbooks. So are many of the documents I'm going to talk about right now uh, called Democracy Matters. It was by Norm Eisen's group. He found it called Crew. That's for uh, that's the uh, ethics in Washington group that Norm Eisen started. And of course, it's by Media Matters, David Brock's group. And it's called Democracy Matters. Uh, I would I would suggest everyone go read that document if you've never seen it uh, to understand what we are dealing with here and that we are in phase two of the Democracy Matters documents uh, from 2020 instead of from 2017. And it's the exact same people involved in all of this. And again, I just want to say that um, 
what what I believe is that these people do not believe that the American people, and I'm not talking about Trump, believe me, they do not want anyone voting for RFK Jr. either. And frankly, they don't really care if anyone votes at all. What they want is to control this country from a supranational level, tragedy and hope, Rockefeller laid out, a supranational uh, moneyed class, uh, elite class. It is an American aristocracy. Like I said before, go watch Hunger Games, look at Pan Am, and then think about the people in Pan Am, the arrogance, the, the greed, the the uh, um, authority they think they have over all the wards and all the tributes and all the places that they've cut up uh, the world into then. And this is what I look at these people as. Um, Andrew Weissman, Norm Eisen, and fellow people uh, they wrote an internal prosecution memo for current Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco to use on behalf of their special counsel, Jack Smith. So uh, what I want you to know is that Norm Eisen and uh, and uh, Andrew Weissman of, uh, you know, all of the all of the get Trump fame so far. Uh, wrote a memo called Model Prosecution Memo for Trump Classified Documents out of a group called Just Security that they are both partners or, or work with. This document was written by Andrew Weissman, Ryan Goodman, uh, Norm Eisen, and a couple other uh, Ivy League lawyers. Um, it's a model prosecution memo that assesses potential charges federal prosecutors may bring against former President Donald Trump. It focuses on those emanating from his handling of classified documents and other government records since leaving office January 20th, 2021. It includes crimes related to the removal and retention of national security information and the obstruction of investigations into his handling of these documents. The authors have decades of experience as federal prosecutors and defense lawyers, as well as legal expertise. Based on this expertise and the analysis that follows, we conclude that Donald Trump should and likely will be charged. Now, um, what I want to say here is, again, this memo was given to Lisa Monaco before Trump was charged with anything. Um, so essentially uh, what happened was that these people with their enormous amounts of money, because you can look into who funds just security, uh, that they um, basically, uh, this is lawfare, obviously. So this is a group of people. Uh, the actual organization, it turns out behind this appears to be the Brookings Institute, which if you go back to Crossfire Hurricane, you're going to find the Brookings Institute all over the Russia collusion hoax. So uh, it appears that uh, the Mueller team is back together. The gang is back together. The Get Trump gang is back together. Uh, this is the legal team um, that also accused Brett Kavanaugh of, uh, of the Christine Blasey Ford nonsense. Um, these are the same people behind both Trump impeachments. These are the same people behind the entire Mueller investigation. Uh, these are the same people behind uh, the Rudy Giuliani situation with Ukraine. Um, and this is really disturbing. Um, they are two of the most well-known, most powerful people, lawyers in, in, in D.C., Weissman and Eisen. And they wrote this document. But the crazy part about this document is it's not the only one that these two men wrote. So um, they also wrote documents, uh, including four governance studies 
by the Brooking Institute about Trump indictments. On 6-28-21, they wrote about the New York indictment. On 10-4-21, the Fulton County indictment. On 6-6-22, the J6 DC indictment. 1-4-22, another Fulton County indictment. Trump charges uh, happened in New York, 3-30, DC, 8-1, and um, in uh, Fulton County, 8-14. Now, I want to tell you, the different uh, documents that Eisen and Weissman wrote, uh, along with Brookings and Just Security, one of them is New York State's Trump investigation, an analysis of the reported facts and applied law which lays out exactly what to do and how to try the case and what how to reframe legal precedent to make it work to indict Trump. Norm Eisen uh, involved also with the Brookings Institute in writing Fulton County, Georgia's Trump investigation, an analysis of the reported facts and application of law. That was in October of 2021. Uh, let me go back. The November one, I don't have a date on, uh, but it was also in 2021. Then I have uh, Trump on Trial, a guide to January 6 hearings and the question of criminality by Norm Eisen and fellow crew, uh, the guy that's head of crew now, Noah Bookbinder, also uh, in 2021. And then Fulton County, Georgia, Trump investigation, a new analysis, a reported facts and applicable law. Again, Eisen and Bookbinder, November 2022. So what's, ha- what's coming to light here uh, very clearly is that um, uh, these people have been um, doing the research, the lawfare, the constructing of of what to do in court and then giving it to the Soros AGs and DAs uh, that are then going forward and pressing the charges and gathering the grand juries. Um, So they write legal filings and then they hand them over to the Department of Justice, it appears, or they put them through Just Security Think Tank or others. So Norm Eisen wrote a whole book, A Case for the American People, the United States versus Donald Trump. He also wrote a whole book called Trumpery or something or how to fight Trumpery, whatever that is. So uh, they've created novel legal theories to use by the DOJ against political opposition, not just Donald Trump, but everyone that they've gone after. Uh, There's his second book, Norm Eisen's about Trump. He also was the uh, counsel against Trump in the Trump impeachment of a Ukraine phone call that Trump made as president to the president of Ukraine asking about the vice president and the vice president's son's business with Burisma that then Norm Eisen led the impeachment against Donald Trump. So uh, I don't understand at this point what is happening other than the Crossfire Hurricane team of legal Poison Ivy League trained uh, operatives of the aristocracy or the Pan Am class in D.C. and and New York City have decided that they run the country. They run the Department of Justice. They will decide who gets persecuted and who doesn't. And they will destroy Trump and all of his voters uh, and, and votes for everyone because one fake vote is a bad vote for everyone. But you can pick up Norm Eisen has written dozens of articles about having to destroy Trump. Um, 
So a few, uh, so Eisen and, and, um, and Weissman, and this is all the way back. This one memo that I'm talking about that kicked off all of the lawsuits is from, um, a very long time ago. So this is not new, uh, information and no, and I don't see many people reporting on it, but, um, they also published their model prosecution memo for use inside the DOJ and for legal mm. scholars and scribes in the media to review. Um, to the DOJ making any Trump indictment announcements. So uh, this is exactly what they did in 2016 and 2017 and through all of that. Uh, Lisa Monaco is distributing talking points and giving Jack Smith the groundwork for his upcoming novel indictment efforts, uh, Andrew Weissman told MSNBC, where he went on there to discuss in what I showed you before. Um, So again, uh, now uh, it turns out that that's not all of it we have more information that has come forward. So, uh, this group, just security, uh, their model prosecution memo, that is one of multiple model prosecution memos, the just security group separate from Brookings, but a lot of the same people also wrote, um, things about the classified information documents, the espionage act, the Mar-a-Lago, um, uh, uh, raid. Uh, they also write a lot. They have something just security. This is justsecurity.org has an entire page called the Trump trials clearing house. So the Trump trials clearing house on justsecurity.org, If you head over there is apparently run by Norm Eisen. So Norm Eisen has an entire treasure trove here of all the documents, pages, new information, uh, everything about Trump's co-defendants. He's got a whole calendar. Uh, he's got, uh, for 14th amendment, section three litigation, uh, New York attorney general, corporate fraud information, uh, department of justice, 2020 election interference information, Georgia, 2020 election interference information, department of justice, classified documents, information, New York hush money, 2016 election information. And this was all put together by Norm Eisen. Ambassador Norm Eisen served in the White House as special counsel and special assistant to the president for ethics and government reform and as an ambassador to the Czech Republic, which, by the way, side note, had a color revolution while he was there under President Barack Obama, as well as special counsel for the House Judiciary Committee from 2019 to to, to 2020, including for the first Trump impeachment trial of which he presided over. He's also been a close ally of Jerry Nadler. Um, so, I mean, I just don't understand. Is this because of, um, Eric Holder's collateral, uh, uh, um, consequences memo that these people get away with everything, never get charged with anything, or is it because we have a fully captured country and the globalist billionaire oligarchs run our nation and anyone that commits crimes against them or that threatens them gets persecuted, thrown in jail, terrorized, destroyed, called domestic terrorists, and anyone that's working towards their goals uh, gets re- um, Because what I'm finding uh, in a lot of this is that we have a whole nother group here because most of you remember Molly Ball put out an article, I think I have the Molly Ball cover here, about the um, bragging about the secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election. And if you read that article, we're speaking about, um, I believe she says here, 
uh, that she says, an odd thing happened amid Trump's attempts to reverse the result. Corporate America turned on him. Hundreds of major business leaders, many of them had backed Trump's candidacy and supported his policy, called on him to concede. It was all very, very strange, Trump said. And she goes on, and then she says, there was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes. Uh, if you could put up that Molly Ball cover, if you have it, just so people know what to look for. Molly Ball says, thank you. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests that they warned about in the uh, in the um, transition integrity project uh, memos that Eisen was also involved in with Podesta and others. One that both curtailed the protest and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Both surprises were the result of an informal between left-wing activists and business titans. The pact was formalized in a terse, little-noticed joint statement of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the union AFL-CIO, published on Election Day. Both sides would come to see it as a sort of implicit bargain inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes destructive racial justice protests in which the forces of labor came together with the forces of capital to keep the peace and oppose Donald Trump's assault on democracy. In that Molly Ball article, she quotes Norm Eisen talking about how they saved democracy from Donald Trump, of course, because that is what Norm Eisen and his friends care the most about, saving their democracy. Uh, they have a group called Protect Democracy that doesn't even de de deny this in this article. They go through and say, um, this is the inside story of the conspiracy to save the 2020 election. They mean save from Donald Trump winning fairly. Based on access to the group's inner workings, never before seen documents and interviews with dozens of these involved from across the political spectrum. It is a story of unprecedented, creative, determined campaign whose success also reveals how close the nation came to disaster. She means Trump winning. She goes on, uh, and then they go on to say, every attempt to interfere with the proper outcome of the election was defeated, says Ian Bassin, B-A-S-S-I-N, co-founder of Protect Democracy, a nonpartisan, which you can just substitute with globalist-funded billionaire oligarch, uh, nonpartisan rule of law advocacy. So again, Ian Bassin of Project Democracy says every attempt to interfere with the proper outcome of the elections was defeated. Every attempt to the proper outcome, says this elitist uh, Pan Am uh, aristocrat lawyer uh, who runs Pro Protect Democracy. It's a massively important for the country to understand that it didn't happen accidentally. The system didn't work magically. Democracy is not self-executing. Okay, he goes on to say, that's why the participants want the secret history of the 2020 election told, even though it sounds like paranoid fever dream, a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies, working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, chain rules of law, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. They were not rigging the election. They were fortifying it. And they believe the public needs to understand the system's fragility in order to ensure that democracy in America endures. Rob, can you comment on that? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. So, um, so clearly what they've been doing for a very long time. Um, so let's frame it in it. So like I said before, these people are sociopathic, 
uh, you know, criminals who only know how to win by any means necessary, not on merit, but by destroying their opposition in any way, by gaming the system, by cheating, lying, stealing, bribing, blackmailing, um, eliminating their opposition. So they, they're, they're not, they don't play fair uh, in any way, shape or form. So they've been wargaming um, th their agenda Everything. for a very long time. So they create these model prosecutions, these white papers, they create these these novel theories like the novel coronavirus. Uh, everything is yeah. novel now, so it's new. So they're they're using language and they that's part of the information war, the mind, you know, the mind games, the propaganda to be, and these are very, you know, most people see them as, you know, legitimately uh, achieved and scholarly or capable people. So they figure, oh, well, th this is just a, you know, a mo you know, this is a novel theory. And, and they, and they create these, these legal frameworks, uh, or these stories like the Pelosi wrap up smear using the system, so that you feed something out into the system, it gets propagated by their, you know, their, their tentacles of control, uh, you know, media and otherwise. And then they, they, they use that. Um, and then the, it, it kind of snowballs, it becomes kind of part of the system. So it, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's evil genius at its best. Um, and it, it's, it's, you know, it, you know, it, the, the thing about, and, you know, conservatives is we tend to want to fight fair. We tend to want to win on merits. We tend to, to believe in, in ethics, uh, morals, values, we, and, and we don't mind losing a fair fight. What we're dealing with on the other side is something that most people don't understand uh, is, is, you know, it, 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 it's, it's quite evil because they have none of those um, compunctions. It's, it's not part of their DNA, or it certainly doesn't seem to be part of their DNA. What they do is they go out and they and they and they think about this in in, in great detail and 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 in foreshadowing and 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 they and they go for the jugular all the time every time and what we need is the american people and and thank you mel for for doing this work and i know it's very difficult to do because it's because it's a little you know disheartening and distressing to see this machine that we're up against, but the machine falls apart when you see what it is. This, the machine yeah. falls, falls apart when the people of this country, you know, feel the effects of their policies, when they see the, the, the moral, ethical, and um, in every way that the, the way that these people operate. So, and most people don't want to live that way. Like I said before, it's like most people want to wake up in the morning. They want to look in the mirror, feel good about themselves. They want to love their kids and their family. They want to do a decent job and they want to earn a living and they want to try to make the world a better place. These people do not think that way. And that's one of the hardest things. There's two really hard things to, to comprehend in this whole concept. Number one, how could it be so organized, pervasive and, um, and all encompassing and that, and what you do beautifully is you kind of pull that apart. And the other thing is that people don't want to believe in in pure evil or evil intentions and evil tactics. 
And that's what we're dealing with. And we need to shut this down. We need people to understand what's going on. And, and your work is critical in that process. I know it's filtering up. I know it's spreading out. But please, you know, make sure, you know, we need to be brave and, and loud and, 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 and strong in our beliefs that this is going on because it's absolutely going on like Warren uh, or like uh, uh, Darren Beatty said uh, today in, in, when he was looking at the pipe armor situation. Uh, you know, people are coming around. You know, he basically said at this point, I'm, you know, 99.9% sure that this is and absolutely today is 100%. a hope. Today is we went to 100 percent yeah today no, but this the is the line. thing it's like you know as you dig into this you you know i mean they think that that people are dumb they think that we're just going to roll over you know that is not the case the american you know you know good americans good people all over the world are not stupid it's not easy to work hard and to raise a family and to, to navigate through life these people have been living in this this gilded cave, this gilded, you know, whatever their Pan Am, uh, you know, for yeah, for so long that they have totally lost touch. And we yeah, we, a, we, will, we will go ahead. No, no, I just wanted to say I think it's really important. I'm going to make sure this article is on uh, the MelkeShow.com resource page, Opposition Playbooks, because uh, looking through this article, we should be looking for where all these groups are right now. Because Molly Ball, I mean, they thought that they were running a, uh, a a victory lap by writing this article. But I would say if you are out there, especially not just if you're a Trump voter, but if you're an RFK Jr. voter or you're going for no labels or you're a libertarian or you know people that are, they don't want any of our votes to count at all because Norm Eisen isn't just involved in this. He's also, not only was he involved in all of what's going on right now and is writing all this stuff from the back end and he's Obama's like pal from um, Obama's ethics czar, which is like such a joke. And it's so, they, they don't think any American citizen deserves a voice, a vote, freedom, uh, any of this. This is all lies. And he has a group, um, that I've been also talking about. So Norm Eisen doesn't just show up behind at Brookings and at Just Security behind all of the Trump persecutions uh, and, and really, really leading the way. But Eisen also shows up in something um, that is called the um, Voter Protection Project. Voter Protection Project. And it's mentioned in that Molly Ball article, as is Norm Eisen. And there's also the Voting Rights Lab, Into Action. I mean, they go through in this article by Molly Ball, which every Republican and uh, RFK voter and Libertarian and anyone voting for Cornell West or uh, Miriam Williamson or anyone else, uh, should be reading. You should go back and read Molly Ball's article and then go to the websites of all of these groups because they are bragging here that they saved the 2020 election by working together to make sure that democracy worked because democracy doesn't work automatically by itself through free and fair elections. It only works when fortified. Uh, other groups that were involved here um, and, and they were they were scaring people to death, saying Trump, uh, Americans plan widespread protests if Trump interferes with the election. Well, all of you remember the Transition Integrity Project a year before the election when Trump was still doing well, before the pandemic was rolled out. Um, 
Mike Pompeo was in a press conference and somebody, I think from NBC or John Acosta at the time said, well, what are you going to do when Trump loses and doesn't leave the office? And, and the guy was, and Pompeo was like, what are you talking about? And that was when the transition integrity project was already kicking in and dropping stuff to their controlled media friends. Um, they also, the democratic socialists of America started something called protect the results. So that's their little wing of that. The, uh, they recruited the U S chamber of commerce, the AFL CIO, but they bring up a lot of groups in here. Um, this, uh, we have this coalition, there's these vote America votes, uh, and a bunch of other coalitions. And they talk about, um, this black table group. Um, they talk about Zuckerberg Chan and, um, they say that, and, and like I told you, Zuckerberg Chan is re rebranded, but, uh, $300 million. It was a failure at the federal level that 2,500 local election officials were forced to apply for philanthropic grants to fill the needs needed to fortify the, dem the, the election in 2020. Um, this is a uh, national vote at home Institute, uh, had said this. So they needed Zuckerberg's money to fortify because the federal government, um, wouldn't allow 2,500 local election officials to be funded and trained by which Zuckerberg did. Um, the Institute helped 37 States, uh, and DC bolster mail-in voting through Zuckerbucks. The voter participation center. Um, which in a normal year would have supported local groups deploying canvassers door to door to get out to vote, instead conducted focus groups in April and May to find out what would get people to vote by mail. This is well before that it became a reality. Um, and they worked on that. So they all had different things and different uh, groups that they worked with. And uh, many of them also were involved in, um, well, what they brag about in this article too is, and we're going really long, but I think this is important. I hope people are getting something out of this. Um, but what they also found was that, um, the, not only was Zuckerberg behind most of this, but there's also, uh, which is mentioned in this article, uh, democracy defense coalition, which teamed up with black lives matter, uh, color of change, move on.org people's action, working families party. That sounds familiar. Um, and they got together and they teamed up, uh, democracy defense coalition, uh, the head of that that's mentioned a lot in this article, uh, Mike Podhorzer, uh, an employee of, of the AFL CIO, which, you know, should tell you something there. Um, and they're, like I said, their members are Ben the Ark, Jewish action, color of change, uh, black to the future action fund. A demos, D E M O S comes up a lot. Indivisible, move on, people's action, care and action, working families party. Um, so they are uh, aligned with them. And then um, the Democracy Alliance, of course, is is also uh, involved. And uh, billionaire financier George Soros and the late Progressive Insurance Chairman Peter Lewis are the most notable Democracy Alliance donors. But they have many, many donors. Uh, and they are aligned with the Center for American Progress, Media Matters, and other groups. The Democracy Alliance is a hub for a lot of these groups as well. So, you know, we really do have to pay attention. That Indivisible project is all over out there. And um, we got uh, Annabella, uh, Arabella Partners, New Venture Fund. We got Hansberg Weiss back in the mix for this year. Uh, this year's election, of course, you know him from the Weiss Foundation and the Burger Action Fund, but he's also the 1630 Project. Uh, and he's not an American citizen, so should not be putting money into our our um, our uh, groups. But um, 
uh, Arabella Partners, the $731 million network uh, managed by Arabella Partners, um, is a nonprofit, and he is involved with the 1630 Project side uh, and the Burger Action Fund, like I just said. But other pieces of this puzzle are included um, when you look at uh, different groups and where the money, follow the money there. So um, I also want to say that um, Mark Eisen has now put out a new document called Crisis in the Making. So this is his group, Protect Democracy. Again, another group, uh, Eisen group called Protect Democracy. Protect Democracy is, of course, funded by got to always look at who they're funded by because you'll see that it's all the same people. So Protect Democracy is funded by, let's see, so the Hewlett Foundation, uh, the Brennan Center for Justice, the Pew Charitable Fund, Third Way Institute, uh, and it is also uh, United to Protect Democracy, uh, which is a uh, a um, Protect Democracy project are not related organizations. They are IS, IRS Form 900, and their advisors are very familiar people um, in that group. Then the other group that's involved in this is the Fas Future Forward USA PAC, involved in this too. And uh, a lot of people in the Future Forward USA PAC, of course, that's a dark money situation as well. Uh, also aligned with Arabella Advisors, uh, 1630 Fund, North Fund, Hopewell Fund. Um, then you have uh, the State Ac United Action, which I brought up before. That is uh, the Norm Eisen Group right now that has written the uh, a democracy crisis in the making. So um, that's coming out of the State United Action, which is where Voter Protection Program and the Voter Protection Project which it shouldn't, oh, is a different one. So the voter protection program is housed there. And this is the um, States United Action and the State United Democracy Center were founded by Norm Eisen uh, here too. So uh, this Norm Eisen founded the voter protection program uh, after recruiting a bipartisan, bipartisan globalist board of prominent individuals and retired politicians. The organization was mentioned in the February 2021 Time article hello, they want you to know, and described a joint campaign by corporate executives, labor union leaders, Democratic Party operatives, and lawyers who participated, who anticipated the President Trump would challenge the results of the 2020 presidential election. They anticipated it a year before, uh, pointing to his criticism of mail-in ballots, which SISA, we know, because a, uh, the American First Legal just found those documents and other changes to voting process because of COVID. The coalition challenged Trump's push for recounts following alleged delays and discrepancies in the 2020 election results and urged left-leaning advocacy groups and organizers not to stage protests in the days following the election to just accept it and then start it what? The big lie. They started all of it, the January 6th, all of it, uh, was because they advised people on how to behave. The article identified Eisen as a recruiter for the Voter Protection Program, an organization created to shut down President Trump efforts to contest the election outcome. They, they are involved in a state united action, conducts political polling, issues statements on legislation, tracks elections, candidates, office holders, and election audits. 
State United Action released the final Replacing the Refs report on December 2022, which tracks the trends of election denier candidates who ran in 2022 for state um, for key statewide offices that run, oversee, and protect our elections. And uh, we know many of them and made sure that they could not hold office. In 2021, State United parted with Fair Fight Action and United to Protect Democracy to create digital tool to track sham election audits across the country. Um, and uh, it goes on, again, doesn't really uh, list who's funding it, but again, um, I would say probably the same group of people because it doesn't go that far. And again, um, Arabella Partners comes up in a lot of this information as well uh, and all of their spokes. So. Uh, I would say that it's worth taking a look at all of that. And um, I did want to also mention that NBC, uh, a week ago, we reported it, that NBC had dropped a article, NBC very in on all of this, MSNBC, uh, that would be Comcast, um, Universal, NBC, all of NBC's affiliates, uh, obviously ABC and The View, but NBC, MSNBC are really at the top of the spear when it comes to a lot of this. But remember last week, NBC put out a um, an article saying that they were preparing to um, uh, respond to potential of another Donald Trump victory, very similar to the Molly Ball article. Okay, so I want to brace people to know that you will have power if you just follow some of these dots and start to realize that it is the same people at the very top that are manipulating this entire country and dragging us through hell and division and yelling at each other and hating each other. Really, they don't want any of us to have a say in the elections at all. They already decided who's winning, just like they decided who was going to win 2020. And it's not Democrats or Republicans. It is literally a, a above class of people, bureaucrats that are involved here. And um, so NBC put out a document now bracing for Trump's potential return. A loose knit network of public interest groups and lawmakers is quietly devising plans to try to foil any efforts to expand presidential power, which could include pressuring the military to cater to his political needs. Those taking part in this effort told NBC News they are studying Trump's past actions and 2024 policy positions so that they will be ready if if he wins in November to block him. That involves preparing to take legal action and send letters to Trump appointees spelling out consequences they'd face if they undermine constitutional norms. A woman named Mary McCord, another crossfire hurricane, another get Trump since 2016 woman, says this. We're already starting to put together a team to to think through the most damaging types of things that he, Trump, might do so that we're ready to bring lawsuits if he, if we have to. That means what they did last time, okay? Because uh, as most of you know, Norm Eisen wrote an entire uh, 10 steps to impeaching Trump before he was on the impeachment team for the first faux Ukraine impeachment. They blocked Trump with lawfare from doing anything his entire first term, that he got anything done is a miracle, and he got a lot done, including dismantling or attempting to dismantle the Agenda 2030 globalist octopus that has our country captured, uh, getting out of the WHO, the United Nations. He fired Victoria Nuland, whose husband just wrote a whole, uh, Kagan, who ran NATO and and was behind the Project for a New American Century document about endless wars as far as i'm concerned kagan wrote an article an op-ed 
in the new in the Washington Post about Trump being a dictator. Uh, he is Victoria Newland's husband, Newland back in power, and we're back in wars, of course. Uh, Eisen has written many op-eds. Weissman has all about Trump being a dictator, Trump being evil. And Marion McCord here says that they are ready to make sure that they will stop Trump from doing anything he does if, in fact, he is elected. Uh, part of the aim is to identify like-minded organizations and create a coalition to challenge Trump from day one. Those taking part in discussion said some participants are combing through policy papers being crafted for a future con conservative administration. They're also watching the interviews that Trump allies are giving to the press for clues on how to fight Trump if a Trump sequel should occur. That's Mary McCord uh, talking about that. And I'm going very long and we could f finish this another day. Uh, but I do want to get you started down a certain path to kind of know who's who's here. Um, obviously, President Trump knows about uh, most of this, if not all of this. We had on Cash Patel, who told us that he knew that Crossfire Hurricane team, including these people, were spying on members of Congress that were investigating the Crossfire Hurricane team and the spying on Trump, including Cash and Devin Nunes, while they were in office, unbeknownst to themselves, which came out with a FOIA request of Andrew Weissman's um, uh, documents from Crossfire Hurricane. Uh, on top of that, uh, Donald Trump posted on Truth Social a picture of Biden sitting with Lisa Monaco, second in charge at DO DOJ, probably working on future plots and schemes against Republicans, Trump wrote in a tweet of the picture of uh, President Biden and Lisa Monaco. That was just a few, uh, that was very recently. So Donald Trump knows about this, obviously. Also, um, Andrew Weissman, Norm Eisen, uh, Lisa Monaco, all of them with that memo. But we also have Andrew Weissman actually put instructions in uh, this memo that people should know about. So you realize this is the entire team uh, of Crossfire Hurricane at the very top in the Mueller investigation. Uh, he wrote part two, the law, relevant federal offenses. And he laid out all the offenses of mishandling documents in the one, I'm gonna put all these on the resource page of the Mel Kay show, by the way. Um, he laid out all the documents, he laid out all the charges, he laid out everything in a paint by numbers situation for um, Smith to come in. Uh, also post 9-11 surveillance state, this uh, approach by the DOJ NSD is a pillar uh, of them. The other pillars are uh, that worked working with them, Department of Homeland Security, Office of Director of National Intelligence, the FISA court system uh, et al. So we have all of that. Then we have uh, DOJ and Special Counsel Jack Smith West, uh, weaponizing the Espionage Act. Can you wonder or guess where that came from? Barely two weeks ago, the lawfare cabal at Just Security, this is in the Federalist, led by Andrew Weitzman, uh, the former senior prosecutor for the Robert Mueller special counsel investigation released the second edition of the model prosecution memo uh, to help out his former colleagues at the Department of Justice uh, in persecuting, prosecuting Donald Trump. The document seeks to offer up nearly uh, uh, up new uh, theories of law, novel theories, like Rob said, to get Trump. Just Security bills itself as an online forum for the rigorous analysis of security, democracy, foreign policy, and rights. The organization is funded in part by George Soros' Open Society, 
Uh, and this is a 186 page document in this one. So this, this did not stop. It's not stopping to this day. Then we have, um, Michael Dreben, another person involved here, another Ivy league lawyer behind the scenes above the government in the bureaucracy. He's behind three of the Trump, uh, in uh, Trump lawfare strategies so far. Uh, he's also helping Democrats, uh, as well. And, uh, he has also joined Jack Smith's team. So, uh, also involved in Crossfire Hurricane. So it, it, this is not stopping. Uh, and we are in a place where we are fighting with two hands tied behind our backs, because as Matt Tabibi said in, uh, in his article this week, which I ask everyone to look at, um, Matt Tabibi said, have they already rigged the 2024 election and we're just playing along? And that doesn't mean Republicans. That doesn't mean RFK Jr. voters. That doesn't mean uh, libertarians. That means Democrat voters, too, because what they want is nobody to have a vote, nobody in America to have a voice, no citizen to matter or count. They want us to be global citizens above all else because they're done with us. Uh, this is what this is about. It is not about Donald Trump. And the last thing I will say for today, and then we'll move on because it's been extremely long, but I hope you'll look into all this stuff. I don't know why two men have this kind of power over the people of the United States of America. They are not elected. Um, and, and that is a problem because uh, another thing that's going on, and I'll finish here, uh, we've talked about many times, Judge Florence Pan uh, on here. She uh, is the one that um, the immunity uh, charges are in front of her. So um pan is uh sits on the court of appeals in the district of columbia she um earlier this month she made headlines uh julie kelly again always uh, a great to follow this but um pan is in charge of uh key trump issues including the immunity uh presidential immunity is before pan the judge pan and uh, the district of columbia now remember burl howe of january 6th fame she um, she decided that Trump doesn't deserve attorney-client privilege, uh, so Pan will decide if he deserves presidential immunity, apparently. Um, but she's the one who made the reference, which I believe is coming from above, above them. These people are all lawfare experts. She had asked uh, Trump's lawyer if uh, when he was arguing that Trump has presidential immunity and that all presidents have to because they make decisions under duress, like, I don't know, Biden going into Iran without getting Congress's approval or whatever he's planning to do or anything he's done since he's been in office without approval. So uh, Pan, uh, with a wink and a nod, said, could President uh, order SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival? Pan's, Pan asked Trump's lawyer. Uh, That's an official act and an order and an order of SEAL Team 6. Would that, would that give him immunity? So uh, uh, believe me, that'll come back. But the problem is that Pan has also a husband. Uh, they just went to a big event at the Kennedy Center for Performing Arts. Uh, look into that, and their PPP loans were pretty sh shocking to me. But anyway, um, so uh, they were at a black tie affair, Pan and her husband. Uh, also there were um, Ch Chief of Staff Jeffrey Zients, uh, Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco, uh, and a lot of uh, A-team people, probably the people I'm talking about, uh, midway through the festivities, Pan's husband, Max Steyer, president of a group sponsoring the event, the Partnership for Public Service, a $24 million nonprofit based in Washington, D.C., that recruits individuals to work in civil service, took the stage. 
He said, great leaders are the heart and soul of effective organizations, which is why I'm thankful to see so many of our government amazing leaders here tonight. Steyer acknowledged his wife, Judge Pan. I'll wrap it up after this, guys, but uh, I'll just end on this. Uh, he acknowledged Judge Pan. Now, um, Pan uh, and her husband, um, of course, uh, were are both uh, anti-Trump, if you didn't know that already, uh, but they... Um, Pan's husband is behind a, uh, so he's, he promotes civil service, which is really the unelected bureaucracy that has allowed this to happen. Um, and which is why we are here. Um, so he, uh, is already preparing to make sure that if all of you weren't aware, Trump was, um, very adamant that in his second term, which is another reason they needed to fortify the election of 2020, if that's what they want to call it. Uh, if Trump wins a second term, he wanted to gut the uh, bureaucracy, the dictatorship by bureaucracy that is running this country that these people are all a part of. Uh, Trump had talked about um, a White House, um, remember he had talked about Schedule F. We've talked about it on the show, we talked about it with um, with Cash Patel on this show. Uh, Trump tried to make it late in his presidency an executive order known as shorthand as Schedule F. It would have empowered his administration to st strip job protection from many career federal employees, bureaucrats, unelected people. Uh, many of these agencies are unconstitutional to begin with, um, who, are supported, who are supposed to be hired based on merit and cannot be arbitrarily fired. While the order said agencies should not hire or fire Schedule F employees based on political affiliation, it effectively would have made these employees more like political appointees who can be fired at will. Career civil servants include professional staff across the government who stay on when the president leaves, which was a big problem under Donald Trump. They vary widely, including law enforcement officials, uh, technical expert at agencies, that Congress created to make rules aimed at ensuring clean air and water, this is from the New York Times, food, drugs, consumer products. Mr. Trump and senior advisors on his team came to believe that career officials, unelected officials, that is many of the people I talked about today, who raised objections to their policies or legal or practical grounds, uh, were deliberately sabotaging his agenda. Oh, did you think that? Did they think that, New York Times? Did they think that? They went on, to, the New York Times goes on to say, uh, that Trump and his advisors portrayed federal employees as unaccountable bureaucrats. The Trump team has argued that removing job protections for those who have any influence over policymaking is justified because it's too difficult to, to fire them as it is as it stands now. Well, this guy, uh, Pan's husband, is behind a proposed new rule that would make it more onerous to reinstate Mr. Trump's old executive order of Schedule F. In fact, uh, uh, they got rid of that, and um, Pan and her husband um, are both uh, obviously talking about uh, different things, but both in different ways are making sure that um, that Trump can, uh, if he gets into office, he will have no immunity. He will have no ability to fire anyone. And Mary McCord saying that they're all meeting together. I'm sure Eisen and Weissman, why would they not be there, are going to make sure he can't get anything done. So, you know, at this point, we got to remember that, um, you know, we have to all be very honest about what we're dealing with. I understand that Democrats, many of them, uh, your friends and voters and family members and other people are um, 
are, uh, believe that they um, are on a different side than you, but I would say that these people are a threat to all of us, everyone, right, left, center, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whatever you are right now, uh, we have a group of people that run this country that do not feel that any of us deserve any kind of say in what's going on here. Uh, they will use by any means necessary. Again, this Steyer, he, uh, he runs Partnership for Public Service, uh, and the benefactors of his uh, group and event are the Gates Foundation, the Democracy Fund, the Ford Foundation. Uh, the partnership launched an effort to put diversity, equity, inclusion movement in the middle of an all-of-government push. And uh, Steyer is, um, is, is one of the many people that is out there saying that Trump is a threat to democracy, and yet his wife, Judge Pan, will decide uh, if Trump gets uh, immunity. So... Um, Anyway, you sorry know what now? Go ahead, Rob. Uh, whatever you want to say. Sorry. There, there is no like healthy, effective um, organization that where its members, employees, or whatever are um, immune from being taken out of their roles for you know dereliction of duty for failure. You know, we live in a meritocracy. And the reason why we do is because otherwise everything would be failing all the time because you would never be able to get rid of people that can't get stuff done. So uh, it, it's the it's the really it's the sickest policy that I can think of, um, especially those that are supposed to be driving our national defense and energy policies and commercial policies across the board. But something was striking me very interestingly, which was that. I think we, you know, pretty much all of us have learned probably when we're two or three years old, you know, the simple thing of voting, like, do you want to go for ice cream or do you want to go for pizza? And you raise your hand. Like voting is a very simple thing. I know. They've, they've I created this, this monstrously complicated, politically charged concept. And it's this, that's really the simplest thing. And we have all of the elements in place to secure and manage uh, a one vote, one person, one vote system, which is what they purport to want, right? Which obviously they don't. So, so, so we have to understand that all of this word salad, you know, that they're there, that they push on us is just to, to obfuscate the concept that voting is actually quite simple and, 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 and we should be able to manage that actually very, very easily. Um, so what we're trying to do, what you're trying to do is empower people with knowledge, right? Um, and and importantly, what we're doing is breaking the narrative because it's they make it so complicated that you need to kind of take a bunch of step backs and realize how um, how they're trying to distract us from the most simple things, which is just, you know, voting for the people that we want to, you know, so, and a big part of that, as we talk about often is understanding the stakes. So, you know, I was in a situation recently, and I probably got a, maybe a little bit aggressive with someone about someone with means who was kind of saying like, well, I don't really know what I can do or whatever. And I say, you know, you have to do whatever you can do within your sphere of influence, you know, to, to move this ball forward in the right direction. And this person was on our side, but they were, you know, thwarted and frustrated and, and dejected and whatever. 
So what we need to do is we need to speak up. We need to be confident. We need to show up. We need to push back. We need to help. We need to educate ourselves and then, and then, and, and, and smartly educate those around us to understand the stakes, understand the direction that we're going and to, to make, you know, to, to move us in the right direction. So, um, you know, I know that, that you talk about, um, and we have talked about a lot, you know, infiltrating these groups and pushing back on this narrative and well, they're bipartisan. They're bipartisan. So why can't we show up? That's how they get their funding. And and you know, it's it's less infiltrating and more knowing that they exist and how 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 coordinated they are. I mean, the Democracy Alliance Network and between them and Arabella Partners and all of their new venture fund, North Fund, 1630 project, they don't hide it. And all of the donors are the same. And all of the donors are aligned with the globalist billionaire oligarchy that I talk about all the time. People just have to go look at it. I think influencewatch.org is a great place to go. But, you know, if you see America Votes or the Center for American Progress or Center for Community Change or any of these groups or America Votes or you don't go and look at, you know, what North Fund and Arabella Partners and 1630 Project and Hopewell are funding. And then you don't look in the, your local community at which groups are local to you and, and start to figure it out from there. Because I also believe that a lot of people that work for these these pop up now we're talking about between um, uh, the election excellence and a bunch of these other groups. We, we still have we have Hansberg Weiss back in the game. So he's ways to win and conserve conservation voters and. Listen, I'm looking at who's running them and who's funding them. And it is the billionaire oligarch elitists that have all these NGOs, the same ones as always, Open Society, Gates, the Rockefeller Brothers, uh, Carnegie Endowment, uh, Ford. It's all the same. Omidar, uh, that Arnold Ventures. So it's like there's a very small group of people that run Pan Am, you know, and, you know, and it's people are divided into, into wards fighting against each other. They want us to have a civil war. These people want us to have a civil war. The Democrat voters in your area, they don't even know that they're being used. And at the end of the day, they're all done with us. Why do they need this kind of money? Why do they? And they all claim to be going out to disenfranchise voters. I'll tell you right now, anyone in America that wants to vote can vote. They, they, they don't need a third party. This is total fraud. And, and the sad part is, I, the thing that makes me the saddest is I don't understand why these people don't think that you and I deserve a vote. We don't deserve a vote. We don't deserve our candidate. And they're going to destroy Donald Trump, his family, anyone that questioned the 2020 election. It's all these same people. You know why also, Rob? Because none of them paid for Crossfire Hurricane. None of them paid for actual real treason of a sitting president. Instead, they got rid of him and they got back into their positions and they continued down the path of Agenda 2030 and selling our country out. And, and that is what is wrong here. What is wrong here is that they think that the American people do not deserve to have our own country and to run our country as we see fit. It is not Democrats and Republicans. And I'm sorry that so many Democrats hate us. And I'm sorry that they push this whole narrative but they've gotten, they, they hate us. They hate us. They don't just hate Republicans. They don't just hate Trump voters. They don't think any of us, and, I, and I'm going to end, they Rob, you humanity. can end, and then I'm going to end with one quote that I think is really important to read. I just want to say one thing, which is that um, the, the scope and scale of their machine belies their, their weakness, their fear, and their, you know, I, I, 
in my in my estimation, you know, they know that that you know that that the that the people of this planet, the American people and people of other countries, we see it happening all over the world, are standing up. And so they put this machine in place to try to protect themselves. But the people of this world will be standing up, will be pushing back. They'll do it peacefully. They'll do it smartly. And we will we will regain what you know the founders intended. So so Mel, thank you for your incredible work. Thank you for helping us understand this and uh, and everyone out there, take this information and do something with it. As our friend Jeremy Brown, who's who's still incarcerated from J6, says, don't do nothing. Yeah. And I want to just end on and I I have the quotes somewhere, um, but I want to I want to read it because I want people to understand. I've read it in many. many of my speeches, but I think it's important to understand what we're dealing with here, especially when people say, why isn't the media telling us what is going on here? Um, I believe that the architect of, uh, of much of this, uh, along with Brzezinski and Kissinger and the Crown and Council of Foreign Relations and their friends uh, that have allowed this country to be stolen from the people that none of us deserve a vote or a voice. Every fraudulent ballot that is counted uh, negates one real citizen's vote. And that's what you should know. But anyway, David Rockefeller said, we are grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and other great publications whose directors have respected their promises of discretion for almost 40 years. It would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subjected to the lights of publicity during these years. But the world is much more sophisticated and prepared to march towards a world government. This is the important part, folks. The supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite and world bankers is surely preferable to the national autodetermination practiced in past centuries. That is David Rockefeller. Too much applause of all these people. And I want to end on this. This is from 1984. All I ask you is, if nothing else, please go find the Molly Ball article from 2020 and read it and read it and decode it and look at where the groups that she mentions are now. Uh, That's one thing you can do. We'll put it at the MelKShow.com resource page, Opposition Playbooks. Uh, A lot of the other documents I mentioned are there as well. Uh, You can prove it to yourselves. It's easier that way. Um, But I want to end on this uh, quote from Orwell's 1984, because when I was reading this, I almost cried, which is so crazy. I almost cried because I thought, God, they hate us all. They don't want any of us to be free to make choices when, when, you know, that the clip was played of George Soros's kid at the World Economic Forum where he's bought. When has anyone ever been happy? You know what? What? You know, democracy, blah, blah, blah. You know what? People were happy. You know, people can be happy, but we shouldn't have this in our lives. So uh, I will say this. This is what I believe these people believe. I will tell you the answer to my question. It is the party seeks power entirely for its own sake. We are not interested in the good of others. We are interested solely in power, pure power. What pure power means you will understand presently. We are different from the oligarchies of the past in that we know what we are doing. All the others, even those who resembled ourselves, were cowards and hypocrites. The German Nazis and the Russian communists came very close to us in their methods. 
but they never had the courage to recognize their own motives. They pretended perhaps they believed that they had seized power unwillingly and for a limited time, and that just around the corner, there lay a paradise where human beings would be free and equal. We are not like that. We know that no one ever seizes power with the intention of relinquishing it. Power is not a means, it is an end. One does not establish a dictatorship in order to safeguard a revolution. One makes the revolution in order to establish the dictatorship. The object of persecution, prosecution is persecution. The object of prosecution is persecution. The object of torture is torture. The object of power is power. Now you begin to understand me. Thank you guys. Good night.